get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is honestly this this time off for the players might be the most excruciating work that Doug Armstrong and his staff have to do right now because it's all, it's a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Because the trade deadline's a month away, so it's a blessing that you have this big window of opportunity to really do a full top to bottom, you know, evaluation of what you got. When the curse is that it's just a lot of work. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Jamie Rivers yesterday on the Fast Lane. If you missed any of their show, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, Jamie was talking about the Blues going through their annual audit, right? Really, more like a buy or triannual audit. Isn't audit a bad thing? No, it's like not You don't want to get audited. No, you, I mean, you don't because it can lead to bad things if yeah. you are, you know, like a days ago with your money. Well, nobody would do that. However, for the Blues, I think it's a good thing to do right now because you are in this seven to ten day break where you've got an opportunity, if you're Doug Armstrong, to be able to decide, okay, where are we at as a team? If we take an honest assessment, set the record aside, set all of the emotion aside, let's just look at the cold hard numbers. Look at the, if we were self-scouting, how would we view our team if we were playing against the Blues next week, right? And the answer is they're pretty darn good. They've got a real a lot of scoring. They've got options from top to bottom in terms of the depth of scoring. But Alex, there are some underlying issues. And over like on the ath- what? Over on the Athletic earlier today, Jeremy Rutherford, who we're going to talk to coming up at 11:30, was asked a question by one of his readers about Tory Krug and Justin Falk, who have been, if you just look at the plus minus, and we've cited this, outstanding this year. Team stat. One of the best in the league in terms of defensive pairings. If you look below the hood, though, a little bit, there are some concerning numbers on, you know, how much I love the expected numbers. Oh, flashing Alex. red light. Haven't we discussed how advanced analytics aren't everything about hockey? You have. And so I'm going to let you tear down all of my arguments that I've got today. Right, let's bust down okay. these walls. Let's build a I'm going to play the role of what I would imagine Michael Gersh does with the Cardinals, where he throws things at John Mosaylock knowing half of them are going to get torn down and maybe some of them end up penetrating through. And you're going to play the role of Mo, but of course the hockey version, so you're basically Doug Armstrong. And you're Ryan Miller. He's the assistant. There you GM. go. I'm Ryan Miller in not this the situation. Goalie. Not the goalie. Oh. 
He's retired. Good. He wasn't very good as a blue. Whoa. So, Doug, we are sixth right now in goals per game. Okay. It's great. Third in the Western Conference. 3.4 goals per game. That's a really good number. That sounds like a winning formula right there. We are 11th in goals allowed per game. We'd like to improve on that, but it's pretty solid. You can win a Stanley Cup being 11th in the league in goals allowed per game at 2.7. Absolutely. You're not the bottom half of the league. And we're top three in both power play percentage and penalty kill percentage. So our special teams have been fantastic so far this year. Yeah. We do have some problems, though. Okay. We are 28th right now in Corsi percentage, which is basically how much offense are we controlling at five on five? We are 21st in expected goals per game at five on five. We are 30th, second to last in the NHL right now in expected goals allowed per game at five on five. And the reason for those issues, Alex, Doug, is because our high danger chances are a problem, both offensively and defensively at five on five situations right now. We're bottom five in the league at both generating high danger chances and also preventing them defensively. These are issues that if we allow them to continue long term, it will eventually catch up to us, in my opinion, Doug. But for the here and now, our, our record looks good. The power play penalty kill have both been so good that it's not killing us that we are struggling right now and the underlying numbers at five on five. How do you feel about some of these? Well, if we are taking the true audit of where the Blues are today. Well, Ryan, I appreciate your concern, but let's just let's break this down a little bit more. At five on five in goals for this season, there are only seven teams that have scored more goals than our St. Louis Blues at even strength. So we are one of the top 10 teams at even strength this season. Does that make you feel any better, Ryan? It does because the... Uh the actual goals is a good thing to have because it helps you win hockey games. The now, question, though, is, is that sustainable? Or are we basically a baseball player that everything it's seeing eyes, right? Seeing eyes single. You find a way to get it through. And more often than not, if you play that same game over time, it's going to be a problem. It's like the dude that's getting a bunch of hits, but not hitting the ball hard at all. Eventually, that's going to catch up with you. Now, if you look at where we sit at goals allowed, at five on five this season overall, we got 86, which may not seem great. Close right to, in the middle of the league. Close to two per game. But let me ease your tension. It's not just the Blues that are struggling in this area because the Florida Panthers have the same amount of goals allowed at even strength as we do. The Vegas Golden Knights have more. Teams like the Montreal Canadiens. Well, I'm not going not to that. Bad. I'm not going to that one. Teams like the Edmonton Oilers, teams like the Anaheim Ducks, the New York Rangers, the Boston Bruins, the Toronto Maple Leafs. This is something that happens in the middle of the season. Is it a concern? Absolutely. But if there's one area that can be corrected that fixes all of these things, it's turnovers. And we've discussed this. Turnovers are resulting in a lot of even strength, odd man rushes for the opposite team. If we crack down on our turnovers, if we turn this into a better puck possession team, we can turn those 86 goals into a top 10 of the league in terms of goals allowed to where it drops down a little bit. He got it. Thank you, sir. So basically you're saying our issue right now is just turnovers. If we eliminate the turnovers, we're good, and none of the other issues are are real. I think that's spot on. What about the high danger chances for? The fact that we are right now in the bottom half of the league, or bottom five in the league, at generating where you would expect to score goals. Those, those dirty area goals, those so are the high goals danger goals for high danger. Correct. Offensively, we are struggling at generating that with our current personnel, which seems like a bit of an issue for me, considering how good we all believe this offense to be. 
shouldn't they be better at that, especially at five on five? Is this a chemistry issue? Is this a situation where because we were injured for so long, maybe that's showing up in the numbers more so than when they've been healthy? Well, let me ask you. What do you think is the issue with us offensively right now, specifically at five on five? Because obviously the power play is not broken. There, There is nothing that needs to be fixed. Well, there. let me ask you, Ryan, who are some of the other teams that are that are around our numbers right now in terms of high danger goals for? High danger chances for right now. The Blues are in the same range as the Flyers, the Sabres, the Kraken, the Coyotes, and the Blackhawks. Those so are the teams that are good. in their area. So that's, that's not, not good. good. <laughs> but let me let me turn let me turn this a different angle. Let me polish this turd for you. Please do, Ryan. Please. We are still a top 10 team in terms of goals scored this season. Yeah. Are you going to count on that, though? Of, of course I'm going to count on that because you know why we're scoring these goals? Because we have the talent and the speed to score these goals. What I hear from the high danger scoring chances for my team means there's not a whole lot of net front presence. But if you look at our roster, we aren't built to be net front presence teams. We are built for speed. We're built for skill and we're built for playmaking ability. So what about on the other side? Defensively. Defensively is what we just talked about a little bit ago. It's, five exclusive, on five. it's exclusively the turnovers. I think so. Okay. I think so. Because if you look the at the other teams in our range for what it's worth in terms of the high danger chances against at five on five. So this is the good shots that are happening against us at five on five are the Canadians, the Jets, the Rangers, the Red Wings, the Blue Jackets and the Flyers. Well, you just um, not great. You just mentioned two teams that are in the playoff conversation in the Jets and the Rangers. Look the at the Jets Rangers. are worse than us, though. They just beat them, didn't they? And the Rangers are a team that nobody's sure if they're actually good or not. Yeah, that's very true. Like everybody Rangers seems are to be in this because right their goaltending is stealing hockey Are the games. Rangers good? Mm, we're not really sure. If but you look at the amount of, to be so far. If you look at the amount of high danger scoring chances, and this is why analytics and advanced analytics are just dumb with this, because you can't you can't break down high danger scoring chances from consistent puck possession in the offensive zone or the defensive zone if you're the Blues compared to odd man rushes up the ice in terms of three on twos, two on ones where turnovers happen. And if you look at the blues, at least in the last 15 games, where are teams scoring goals? They're scoring off of the rush on us. It's not like they're hemmed into our zone where we can't get guys off of the ice. It's more so a turnover in the neutral zone results in Johnny Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk skating up the ice and crisscross pass. Boom. Bob's your uncle into the back of the net. That's where we need to crack down. And you know how we crack this down, Doug? Wait, I'm Doug. You're Ryan. You know how we crack this down, Ryan? <laughs> Forgot where we were for a minute. Who are you? You make a trade for a defenseman. You make a trade for somebody who can help in moving the puck up out of the zone. And Maybe I got Ben Sherratt. I got somebody on mind. Yeah. I got somebody on mind. And okay. it's not Jacob Chikrin. My bad. It's not Mark Giordano. I ruined your punchline. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Let's Ryan, hear from Elliot Friedman. Ryan, go back into your room. <laughs> Well, first of all, I still do think Sherratt's the first move because he's unrestricted. I think that teams are really making their intentions known. Like, I think St. Louis is very much in there, and, and they're not the only ones. So my guess is Sherratt is still move number one. Elliot Friedman of 32 Thoughts Podcast talked about this yesterday, and I know the underlying numbers don't look great for Montreal Canadiens if you're going to go the advanced, advanced analytics like our guy uh, BK over here is going with, but I'm not looking at this year or last year with the Montreal Canadiens. I'm looking more so in his time with the Winnipeg Jets, and I'm focusing in on the 2017-2018 season. This is a guy who is used to playing in the Central Division, is used to a physical brand of hockey, but is also used to a a fast-paced style of hockey between his time with Winnipeg and his time with the Montreal Canadiens. 
So I'm looking at a guy, and I don't know what his advanced numbers look like in terms of zone exits because I know there's something with that. They're real bad this year, but I again, you I, said. You can't look at this yeah. because the other guy that people want is Jacob Chikrin, whose numbers are also really bad this year. Absolutely. Ben Sherratt is somebody who is 30 years old, who's an unrestricted free agent, who's probably going to get paid this offseason and wants to be on a contending team. This would make the most sense, in my opinion, to go out and get because he's physical, he's big, and he moves the puck. The other one is Mark Giordano, but I do believe Mark Giordano is going to be more expensive than what Ben Chirot would cost you. So I think how to crack down on these high danger scoring chances against is to bring in a player like this who is not going to allow players to park themselves in front of my goaltender. And this is why I, I brought up all of that stuff is because you can fix this, right? The Cardinals at the beginning of last year were unlucky based on how often they were hitting the ball really hard. And then they stopped hitting the ball really hard and they the luck ran out. And now you're just you're hitting what you expect to be right. And the Blues, I think it can be the same thing. Like, have the Blues been a little lucky relative to what they've actually done on the ice so far this year? Yeah, based on the shots they've generated, based on the shots that opposing teams have generated, they've been a little lucky probably is what a lot of hockey people would tell you. But also... That's over now. Those 45 games, they're banked. And the Blues got a whole heck of a lot of wins in those 45 games. So now it's just about performing better. And how do we do that in the second half? Well, first of all, you got to be you got to be healthy. That's a big part of this. You got to have fewer guys going on and off the COVID list. And that expects to be the case based on the fact that it seems like the NHL is essentially punting on COVID testing the way that every other sport is right now. So that's part of it. The other part is you probably need to make an upgrade on the defense. I do think part of this, Alex, is the turnovers. I think that's a big part of it. They're, they're too loose with their puck in their own zone. And too often we've seen this year, whether it be Scandella or a drop pass or whatever, they're just lackadaisical with it. And then suddenly it's going back the other way with, with an odd man rush. And you have no chance of being able to stop that with Huso or Bennington and net. It's too much of these drop passes. It's too much of what we saw Calgary scoring their first goal in Enterprise Center a couple of night, or a week ago. It's too much of the first pass out of the zone to the player rushing up the ice. And he drop passes it back for a player who's not there. And then you have a two on one coming the other way. So the reason why I bring that up is because you do need an upgrade. I do think that this team is in need of upgrading on that top pairing defensively. Nico Mikola has been in, has done an admirable job so far this year. I think you should be better there. And I don't know if it's Ben Sherratt. I don't know if that ends up being Giordano. I don't know who the name is going to be, but I think it's somebody like that. I don't think it's going to be Jacob Chikrin. I don't think it's going to be a guy that costs you a ton to go out there and acquire. I think it'll be somebody where you have to give up a second or third round pick. Maybe it's a conditional, depending on how far the Blues advance in the postseason. And you probably end up giving up Marco Scandella in the deal as well to be able to make the money work, which might end up meaning you got to give up a first round pick instead of that second or third round pick. I think that's probably what you're looking at. And that might be enough where these numbers that I just cited, I know I put them out there as if they were like gospel or something. They're not. They might end up completely changing in the second half of the year. And you don't have to worry about this because this was just a first half trend. So that's kind of where I stand today. I'm with you, Alex. I don't think this is like a super worrisome trend. I do find it to be a little interesting, though, and surprising, honestly, that they are so low ranking at five on five. They have been, based on the expected numbers, a poor team this year at five on five. That is something they absolutely do have to correct they've got to get better in that regard and i expect them to i don't think that's a trend that will continue in the second half of the season yeah. and in part because i think they're going to make a move and i think some of this is just confidence too i mean when you got a goaltender who's got the best goals against and best safe percentage in the national hockey league you can allow for some of these chances like that some of that is also why they're struggling so much when bennington's out there is because you've also got a 
goalie that's lacking confidence. Understandably so. But the same situation happened on that cup run where people were saying, well, the Blues are just getting lucky right now because Bennington's numbers are just absurd. But when you're confident in your goaltender, you can play a different style. They were also, the numbers were outstanding in the second half that year. I agree with that. But you can, you can allow for chances on the offensive side, which makes you a better offensive team when you trust your defense and your goaltending. And right now, the trust might not be there with Jordan Bennington. The trust might not be there at all times with the defense. But I do believe that's how this Blues team is going to succeed, to be risky, to take chances in the offensive zone. And if it comes back to bite you in the rear end because of it, well, then so be it. But that's how this Blues team is going to play. They're not going to play the... they probably should, but they're not going to play the, oh, we're going to beat you 2 one one nothing style. They're going to play. We're going to score five goals on you. It's risky, but the offense has shown that they can do that. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up at 1145, we'll get into questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you have any questions for us, we will be joined by Jeremy Rutherford to talk about this coming up at 1130. That was kind of what spurned the idea with some of the numbers in his article earlier today over on The Athletic. But coming up next, remember that doom and gloom, Alex? Remember that doom and gloom? I don't do doom and gloom. I'm not talking about the weather I'm outside. Optimistic. I'm talking about the CBA and it's back. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. You are a factory of sadness! We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So the doomsday scenarios, they're back. Are we really doing this, man? They're back. Mike Schilt told us how we can live longer, and it's not this. Well, Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich over at The Athletic are not exactly helping my optimism. They wrote on The Athletic yesterday, the scheduled start of spring training in mid-February is clearly in jeopardy. In another few weeks, opening day on March 31st could be a long shot as well. Quote, a new CBA is not close, end quote. Unbelievable. Alex, I still have optimism. I still believe they're getting closer to making a deal. They are reportedly meeting later on today to discuss some of the proposals once again. So that is better than what we dealt with for much, honestly, the entirety of the month of December when the two sides never met. They've now met, what, three times in the last 10 days or so? Mm -hmm. So that's an improvement. We are now getting somewhere. Even if it's not closer to a deal, we're getting somewhere. I guess my frustration is this. ESPN did an article yesterday, and they said basically the drop-dead date for some of the the moments where, okay, something's going to be delayed, is February 19th for spring training and March 3rd for opening day. Guys, it's February 1st now. I think we, whenever we were doing the show with Dan Tanner, I said, I'm not really worried about this until we get to February 1st and there's no real movement. Well, we're here, but there's been movement. there is a little bit of movement. But when I hear guys like Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich, who are as tied in as anybody in baseball reporting, and they say at the end of their article, a new CBA is not close. That is a little worrisome to me. But of course it's not close because it's not like they're going to meet later on today and handshake and sign on the dotted lines and make the CBA official. Like this is going to take more work, but I don't understand how you can say it's not close when these guys have met as many times as they have. If these guys met once and then they didn't meet for two weeks and then they met again, 
then I'd be a lot more concerned. But the fact that they're meeting and then they meet the next day and then they meet the next week and then they meet the day after that, that tells me that at least conversations are ramping up. I have no idea where these conversations are or what they are in the meetings. That's the thing that I'm worried about is Rosenthal and Drellich should. Those are the two guys that I trust more than literally anybody when it comes to the reporting on the CBA negotiations because they are as tied in on the ownership side as anybody is. And if they're saying a new CBA is not close, that's when I get a little worried because they're not alarmists. Ken Rosenthal is a respected reporter who will give it as is. And Evan Drellich is nobody is as tied in on these negotiations as he is. If they're saying nothing's close, man, that is it's the first time I've actually really thought to myself, oh, I actually think they might play 154 games this year. Like, I'm not sure we're getting the full 162, and that's terrifying to me. And fr- and honestly, it's really frustrating to me. Especially because you didn't meet for an entire month. You punted on a month of the negotiations, and this is for both sides. Both of you figure it out. Get in a room for the next week. Don't leave until you're able to come up with some sort of an agreement, and then we can go to spring training on time. Is it going to be delayed a little bit? Maybe, because you still got to do arbitration. You still got to do trades. You still got to do free agency. There is a lot of stuff behind the scenes that still needs to get done, and that's before they get to spring training, before they figure out, hey, how are we getting these people that are international players for us? How are they getting back into the United States with their visas? You got to get all of that sorted out because the players and the front offices cannot speak right now. Hell, what's his face? Um, Izzy can't even do a thing for Wayne's charity. Yeah, like, this is absurd. All of it is just so silly, man. So I, I, I am officially a little worried we're to february 1st and when i read two of the most tied in people in baseball saying we're not close to an agreement that that does it it raises some hairs on my neck of uh uh-oh this is potentially getting bad i've been saying since this started we everybody's been saying well they'll get a demo before the season starts again i i cannot i could not sit there two months ago and said I have faith that the owners and players will get it figured out because they don't want to miss games. I just couldn't do it. And and it's now starting to become more of a reality as we get closer to that deadline, especially with Drellich and Ken Rosenthal reporting that they're not even close. And I get it. We're start, we've seen some of the numbers. Some of the reporting has come out with, oh, they're at 700000 for minimum salary, owners at 600000 It seems like there's a middle ground. The problem is, is both sides are so firmly held in on what they want. And to meet the middle ground is going to be extremely difficult. Like I like the. Based on the reading and my understanding, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, BK, my understanding is that the owners are willing to kind of compromise on some things, but the ones that the players really want, the owners are basically standing pat on. And meanwhile, and the players the have already folded on certain areas. Exactly. Like they, they have already said, okay, we get it. You're not going to let us get to free agency a year early. We'll punt on that. Okay, we get it on, on some of the other proposals that they've had. They went down significantly on certain thresholds. Meanwhile, the owners basically came back with their proposal and were like, yeah, what we said last time, eh, we'll add an extra couple bucks on there. That's pretty much it. So it's it's very frustrating. It does feel as if they're not negotiating in good faith right now. But Alex, if if you've got optimism for me, man, this is the time where I could use it. I I just uh, for me, before I really start to get worried, I, I need to see regression in these meetings. And again, we're not in them. We're going off of what reporters are saying. But by no means have we heard commentary from these meetings that say, oh man, one side is pissed off at the other. And I don't know. did though. The last one, the last one, the players came out and said that they felt like it was a bleep you to them. 
Yeah. That was the reporting that, was, that, that came out the, of their last meeting. That was when he brought up with the money where it was because of inflation, the owners basically offered you less than what the players should be seeking. Maybe so, but I, I, like I said, I, I, it's, when we get to the point where, where they're not meeting for a, a few weeks, that's when I would start to get concerned. Susan Slusser, her reaction from uh, a source, and she's a, a well-respected beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, uh, she said, I asked the source of knowledge of today's bargaining. This was from last week session about the perceived movement from MLB on talks. And the source said, quote, I'd hesitate to call it movement. The player's reaction to this was universally. What the bleep? Are you bleeping kidding me? Uh, and so that's that's where they were coming out of the last negotiations that that to me does suggest that there was a little bit of backwards momentum coming off of because that was the day after the players gave their proposal. And they were like, OK, maybe this will get the ball moving. The owners came back with theirs, and the players were like, Are you "Really, really, this is this is the way that we're going to be met with and, this." And we have not only heard that, but we've also heard some rumblings of contentious moments in the meetings as well. Let's not forget there was the port. Two, I think it was after the Dick first Montfort, meetings, the uh, Rockies owner, yeah, apparently. saying, "Oh, we can barely afford to own our teams." And then, and then you've got no, that's the, your fault, He was Dick. asked not to come back the next day, by the yeah. way. Oh, really? I yeah, did not see he was that. not in the negotiations the day after, and it, I, I think part of it was because he was also the one that said. Um, if we change things the way that the players want us to, then there will be certain owners who can't afford to own the teams, yeah, that's and the that opens them up to like other potential lawsuits uh, if you can't afford to own the team that you own. So I, I think he was basically told, "Hey, and, don't and don't return." The, uh, de- I think it was the deputy commissioner saying, "Yeah, we're we're willing to miss games." And right there, I mean, that just sends off the red flags for the players because that basically tells them the owners are saying. Yeah, we know you're going to cave. Screw you guys. You're going to take what we offer well, you. Otherwise, we're not going to play. I think today is going to be a crucial meeting then. And I don't when was the last time they met? They went last, last Tuesday, week, I think. Yeah, it was uh, the 24th and the 25th. So Monday, Tuesday. So we're a week away so, removed from that. So so the, this one to me is a crucial one because you've you've let those emotions rest for a week after it was a basic bleep you from the players to the owners. How does this one go? Because if this one goes as bad as that one did, then I would start to be concerned. But maybe you let the emotion sit for a minute and realize. I mean, here's the thing. When you when you have that date lingering on you, and what was it? It was February 19th for spring training games to be delayed. I, I think they might be a little off on their math, to be totally honest with you. Like, that's what ESPN put in their uh, report. Because when's but opening day? Opening day would be the late March, le- right? end of March. So, like... I, I think I'm going to start to get concerned because who do we talk to? We talked with Nightingale a couple weeks ago. When I get to the point where you're missing out on like, because they need two weeks of spring training is essentially what Nightingale has told us, two to three weeks. So you get that. That's when I start to get concerned when we lose those options. So let's backdate this real quick. Let's do this before we get to on the other side. We'll talk to Jeremy Rutherford. The 31st is when the Cardinals have their opening day in Pittsburgh against the Pirates. So March 31st. So if you go back three weeks from that date, just to say like, okay, that's when spring training would need to begin. That is March 10th. If we say they need probably 10 days to figure things out logistically beforehand, that is March 1st that we're talking about where players need to be in camps on March 1st. You probably need about a week to be able to get everybody to camps. That includes getting visas done, arbitration process, all of that. So now you're down to February 22nd. So we've essentially got about three weeks to be able to get this thing figured out before you start talking about, okay, are we going to have to miss some actual games? I think that's where you're at right now. And that's why when it looks at the February 19th for spring training to be delayed, I just, I think we're getting close to that already. 
Like, I think if you don't get a deal done by the end of next week, you're probably talking about spring training, like almost no doubt being delayed at that point in time. So I, I think it's even closer to like February 10th. You got about 10 days to be able to get this thing figured and that's out. That's why I think I'm looking more at this week. Yeah. The, these two meetings, because you're coming off of that blank you fest between both sides. And if this one goes south again, then I'd start to get to concerned. Questions and answers in 15 minutes. Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues Insider, coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. If you heard it earlier this morning in our open, I went through the audit of the Blues and some of the issues with the underlying numbers. The genesis of that conversation was Jeremy Rutherford's piece over on The Athletic this morning where he talked about some of the underlying numbers for specifically Justin Falk and Tory Krug. Jeremy Rutherford joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line Blues Insider for The Athletic. JR, we appreciate the time as always, my man. Let's start out with that. I want to dive right into this with you. I mentioned this earlier today. The Blues are 28th in Corsi 4 percentage at 5 on 5, which essentially means they're not generating a ton of offense compared to their opponents. They're 30th in expected goals allowed per game at 5 on 5 and 21st in expected goals for per game at 5 on 5. How much of an issue is this in your mind? Do you think it's something that's worth monitoring? Yeah, I think so. In terms of, you know, looking at those numbers, that they are what they are and they don't lie. You know, however, you know, I think you could recognize that without doing a lot of digging into the numbers because we know that defense has been an issue for this team, BK. And also uh, the goaltending with Jordan Bennington, you know, for long stretches this year with his inconsistency, inconsistency. So, you know, to me, you know, I think it does tell a story. I think you do have to uh, look at that and say, you know, how are they going to rectify that? We've talked about, you know, bringing in some help defensively, you know, starting, giving Billy Huso more starts. Uh, but it also, you know, relies on the forwards as well. So the way I look at it is, you know, we've looked at this Blues team for so many years and they've been so sound defensively. You know, the eye test, you could watch the games and, and recognize that. They got good goaltending from Jordan Bennington on, on that Stanley Cup run. You know, the team's built a little different this year. Defense is not the strong suit. The starting goaltender is not the strong suit. So, yes, they can score five, six goals a game, but that's not how playoff games are won. So I think that's where you have to look at it and say, this is something that they definitely need to address. Well, and I guess the question, Jair, is how does that match up against the teams that they would potentially have to face in a playoff series? I mean, you look at Colorado, who's on a, on a hot streak, Minnesota, Vegas, the way that these teams have been playing. And the hard part is it's tough to evaluate when they've matched up this season because either the Blues haven't had a full roster or the opposition hasn't had a full roster. Yeah, Alex, you know, they just haven't. And so it is hard to evaluate uh, those head-to-head matchups. Uh, but I can tell you this, without knowing how these teams match up against or just knowing the talent, the skill level on a couple of the teams that you mentioned, you know, you're just not going to get in a track meet with these guys and win a lot of 6-5 games like we saw with the Blues and the Toronto Maple Leafs a couple weeks ago. So, you know, this is something that they are going to have to shore up. You know, again, I just don't think it's a situation where this is the style that Craig Bruby wants to play. It's just you play with what you have on your roster and how guys are performing and they're just not getting it in the areas that lead to, you know, better looking stats from, from that point of view. So uh, look, the power play is great. The penalty, penalty kill is great. 
And in the past, you know, this team has been a great 5-on-5 five five team, and sometimes you look at the PP and PK and say that's going to have to be better. So it is a bit cyclical in, on how those things work. But as we all know, you know, you don't look at three, four, five play, uh, power play opportunities in the postseason. It's not how games are won. So, you know, Craig Bruby is coaching these guys up to play better, D, but, you know, they're just going to have to come back after this uh, reset after this break and, and, and start to play that way. And Doug Armstrong's going to have to be working the phones, looking for some help on that back end. And that's where I wanted to get to with you next, JR. We listened to a cut from Elliot Friedman a little bit ago, um, and he mentioned that the sweepstakes for Ben Sherratt specifically are probably going to start heating up here pretty soon. He might be the first one that ends up getting traded among the defensemen that we've talked so much about. Do you think he's the number one guy on the board right now for the Blues? And if not, who are some of the other names that you think could be of interest for them if they decide to improve the blue line? Yeah, I think he's probably, you know, probably a number one target. But, you know, like when you have Elliot Friedman and, and national guys uh, talking about that guy being the number one guy, you know, that just means that the price is going to be pretty high. And so, you know, you can expect that to be a first round pick. I know Pierre Lebrun wrote about that uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And what else, you know, could it take more than a first round pick? You know, when you have five or six teams, probably more than that, calling Montreal for that player, it's going to be tough. So, you know, you have some other names. You look at uh, Lindholm and, and Anaheim. You know, I, I know that the Blues have scouted Sherratt. They, they've scouted uh, Lindholm. You look at Giordano. I wrote in the story today that the Blues faced Seattle twice in the last couple of weeks. Got a good look at, at Giordano. You know, what's the cost for some of these guys? And, you know, do they go with that tier guy? You know, I think they have to. I, I think they really do. That's that's what this Blues team needs. I don't think that they can bring in, you know, a guy who's a couple million dollar player who they can slot in on the third pair and then just hope that Mikula and whoever else can get the job done at that level. I think they're going to have to bring in an upper tier guy and then push the guys down the lineup. Uh, Mikula, I think he's going to be a great player, but imagine if you got him on your third line rather than your than your top pair. So, uh, we'll see where it goes, but the price is going to, I think, dictate a lot of uh, what we see happen with the Blues. Jared, that's what I'm curious about, too, and I don't know if there's any names that pop out to you, but you know, we've heard the, the, the main ones, Chikrin, Giordano, Sherratt, and I, Doug Armstrong always seems to fly underneath the radar. He always seems to find a guy. I mean, Marco Scandell is a perfect example. Nobody was talking about him available a few years ago, and then the Blues strike that deal. Is there a name that maybe people aren't talking about that you know could be available? Justin Braun, yeah, but the- go get Justin Braun. <laughs> Jamie Alexiak. Yeah, you know, you have the Justin Brons of the world, those guys. But here's the thing. You, you kind of make the case there uh, by mentioning Marco Scandella. Those are the types of guys who might be available that people aren't talking about. And when, when Marco Scandella came and he played those 11 games with Colton, you say, wow, you know, Doug Armstrong really dug through the weeds and found one here, and this looks like it could be a good fit. And, you know, not to, you know, criticize Marco, but – you know, has it been a perfect fit since he's been here? No. And now he finds himself in the third pairing. So that's what I'm saying when I say, I don't think that that type of player is going to be the guy who comes in and you say, okay, now this is a team that can defend the Colorados, the Vegas so on and so forth and get you two or three rounds in the playoffs. Look, no one player is going to come in and do that. Even if you can bring in a chicken or, or, or somebody of his caliber, uh, but at least it puts you on a, on a better level defensively and you can start to probably change some of those numbers that we talked about earlier, five on five. They need to solidify themselves. And, you know, last point I'll make on this is you have the team who can contend. You have the forward group. You know, whether it's Bennington turning his game around or really Huso the goaltender, you have a team that can contend. And I just don't know that a baby step with uh, adding a second-tier defenseman 
is what this team needs. I, I think it needs more. So real quick, Jared, just to follow up. So, so you believe that it needs to be one of the big fishes uh, for the Blues to make a trade? I, I do. And, you know, that's with a caveat, not knowing who else out there could be available that we're not talking about that, that might, you know, border on that upper tier. You just don't know who's available. Look, there's still, what, seven weeks to go before the trade deadline. Teams could climb. Teams could fall. What does Bill Armstrong do with his asking price on Chikorin out in Arizona? So there's a number of things that could, that could take place. Look, we could be talking two days before the trade deadline and the Blues have made a move for this guy, and it looks like the perfect fit. So, you know, I'm not saying you have to go out and get one of those two or three Ford names that we're mentioning every single day. I just think that what I've seen on defense and what we see in those underlying numbers, I think that with the forward group they have, this is a group that can contend for a Stanley Cup, and they need a guy who can jump in and play in that top four on the left side. JR, all season I've been wondering, okay, when is the time where they could get a Craig Berube contract extension done? And this seems like the most logical time period to do so. It's the final year of his deal. He'll be a free agent after this season if they decide not to do something in season. Do you think they're maybe talking behind the scenes right now about a potential extension for Craig Berube, or is that still on the back burner for the Blues? Yeah, and I'm going to try to touch on that in part two of my mailbag that's going to be out uh, later this week, you know, but just making uh, some calls. Yeah, I, I think it is a possibility. I know that uh, there have probably been some talks for the past uh, several months. You know, it, it takes both sides to come together and, and agree on a number. I agree with you, BK, that, you know, I don't think a coaching contract or negotiation, you know, takes away from what's going on on the ice like maybe a star player would. Uh, so, you know, whether it got done two weeks ago when they were playing every other night or it gets done during this break, you know, it, it, I don't think it matters big picture, but yeah, it does make a lot of sense. Okay. Craig, he's our guy. He's got a new two year, three year, four year deal. Let's go out these last 38 games, the final 79 days and, and, and get behind this guy and Craig get behind the team and make this push. Uh, you know, I don't think there's any question from the, the player's perspective, the, the staff's perspective that he's not the guy and that he's not going to get the new deal. Uh, but I just think that maybe if you got something done during this break and uh, everybody came back and, and rested, rejuvenated, okay, let's go do this thing, that this stretch does make a lot of sense. Final question. We'll get you out of here on this, JR. Do you think there's any chance of a contract extension for a player during this break? We're we're kind of talking over the last few days about the possibility of whether it be Barbie or Sonny or Kairu Huso, somebody like that. Is there any chance that we see a player extension done during this break? You know, I, I never say never, but, you know, just touching on those guys there, I think what Barbie's got another year uh, at 2.25 uh, or 3.5. Uh, you look at Huso, I don't think so. I think he's going to continue to play, you know, hopefully and from his perspective, play the way he is and, and either find a deal that fits with the Blues or, or go into free agency. That's the one thing I know you guys are aware of it, but he's going to be an unrestricted uh, free agent. So, you know, he's going to have some opportunity if this continues to work out for him. Um, you look at some of these other guys, uh, Perron is a guy that comes to mind. You know, I don't know that they're ready to cross that bridge yet with him because, you know, they just don't know what their payroll is going to be. You still have the Tarasenko situation and some others. So, yeah, never say never. You know, what was it during the uh, COVID shutdown a couple of years ago? I think Doug Armstrong took care of about three guys, Scandella and some others. So uh, certainly he uses this time to his advantage. But as we speak here, I don't, I'm not aware of anything being imminent with anybody. He's Jeremy Rutherford. Read the first part of his mailbag over on The Athletic. It's really good stuff. That was part of the genesis of the conversation we had earlier today on what the situation is with the defense, some of the underlying numbers for the Blues, a bunch of other good nuggets in there as well. JR, we appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy yourself over this break, and we'll talk with you again next week.
All right, thanks, guys. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on 101 ESPN. It's all kind of what we expected there, Alex. I I do think Ben Sherratt seems to be the obvious number one candidate for the Blues. He plays the style that they are in need of. I don't know how great he's going to be here. Like If you just look at the numbers of what he's been so far this year for Montreal, it, it's not good, but that's also a terrible team. It's a sinking ship that he's on, so... There are reasons why it could go poorly for him. You always say it's a it's a team stat. Well, everything he's doing this year is seemingly a team stat because once you get into the hellhole that is a losing season, that can take a huge toll on you. So it could be completely different if he was here in St. Louis. Yeah, I, I just th- you got to look for you got to look for names on teams. And Jared's right; you still got seven weeks before the trade deadline, so you got to see where other teams are. You know, is Zdeno Chara available? Is he an upgrade for you? Everything and, that I've read about how he's played this year is that he he, he is not a yeah, guy you're going to. Doesn't look add. great, but I mean, he's a big player, undefensive minded player that maybe can come in. You know, the one that I'll I'll still harp on that was I think he was a part of my Ferrari 05. Keep an eye on the New Jersey Devils. I mean, New Jersey is, they've lost five in a row. They've lost eight of their last 10 games are at the bottom of their division. It doesn't seem any hope that they're going to make the playoffs. And they got a former Colorado Avalanche who's a top pairing defenseman and Ryan Graves who could be available. Plays the left side. He's big. He's familiar with the central division. Maybe you can give New Jersey an asset because they realize that, you know, they're not going to be competing for a Stanley Cup anytime soon, especially in that division. Maybe you give them a couple of, of assets that could move you, move the needle in a different direction. But I do think it's important what JR said. Someone texted on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780, you know, get a Carson Susie. Carson Susie isn't a top pairing defenseman. You can't be going to scrape the bottom of the barrel and hope that you're going to find somebody like a Marco Scandella. Marco Scandella was great, but he's right. Look at what happened. It trailed off. You got to make a deal for a Jay Bomeister. Yeah, this is the, if the Cardinals were going into the deadline, this is them trying to find a number one or number two starter, not a four or five yeah. innings eater. This is not the Cardinals last year trying to get a Lester and a half that can just stabilize the rotation. You're looking for your version of like Adam Wainwright. Yeah, like you're looking for somebody that could start game two of the playoffs for the Cardinals. Whereas here it's it's a top pairing defenseman. You need somebody that can play those difficult minutes with Colton Pareko and the Blues are counting heavily on that pairing defensively this year. So it's got to be somebody that's not just good. They, they've got to be excellent in their own zone. Otherwise, they're going to be put into a situation where they're going to fail. Well, And here's the deal with this. Like you, you. You you got to get somebody who's better than Nico Mikola. If you go out there and you get a guy who's on the similar page as Nico Mikola, what's the point of what you just did? All you Gave did was just to be the same. All you did was just disrupt chemistry. Like you got to go out there and you have to acquire somebody who is going to be an upgrade. And I'm telling you, watch for Ryan Graves because he's got one more year at three point one six million dollars, and then as a UFA afterwards, he's a left shot defenseman. He's 26 years old. He was very successful with the Colorado Avalanche. He's a puck mover, plays heavy in front of your net. I hated the guy. When when I watched him play for Colorado against St. Louis, he might uh, all don't always don't don't focus on three guys because there are more names out there, but don't go to the guys. Of, oh, well, you could get this guy. No, you need the guy that everyone else wants. And I think Ryan Graves would be it coming up in 15 minutes. Danny Mack joins the show. We'll talk to the Cardinals broadcaster at the top of the hour, but questions and answers. Six, five, seven, eight. Oh, is the air comfort service tax line coming up next year on one one ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 
6570 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers. We're going to go rapid fire. We went a little long with Jeremy Rutherford. We'll have Danny Mac joining us coming up here in about five minutes or so. Let's start out with this one from the 314. Guys, do you think the Cardinals should pursue Jorge Soler to be their next designated hitter? No, I don't think so. I think he's just too inconsistent as a DH hitter. And I think if I'm going to go Jorge Soler, I'll give it to Juan Yepes. That's exactly where I am. I would give it to Juan Yepes over Soler. I just read this at during the break from Katie Wu. She wrote a piece over on The Athletic. She had a questions and answers type of thing with uh, Jim Bowden. And they were asked on honestly something very similar to this question about the designated hitter. She said one benefit of the NL getting the DH is to provide some key rest days to players like Arenado and Goldschmidt. Uh, she said the allure of the power bat is there, but the Cardinals don't necessarily need one and could allocate their resources elsewhere. End quote. Uh, basically, it sounds to me like the Cardinals do not plan to sign anybody other than a reliever. And they're going to leave this to Lars Nootbaar and Juan Yepes. We can decide whether or not that's the right decision, but I think that they're not going to. And I do not think that Jorge Soler is the type of bat that you would get to significantly upgrade. I would rather a Nelson Cruz, but we've been down that path. 65780 is the air cover service text line for questions and answers. Alex from the 615, would you take a shot on PK Subban? He's on the last year of his contract with the Devils. Absolutely not. Um, PK Subban's numbers have not been what they were when he was traded from Montreal to Nashville. He, I don't think he's a number one defenseman anymore. And on top, I, I, I think he plays a little too dirty for my liking. Um, Blues could use a little bit of that. And he's on the, what, guys who slew foot players and spend well, time in the penalty no, box? No, not that. But and he also plays grittiness. And he also plays the right side. I mean, he's not playing over anybody. You need a lefty. So, no, I'm, I'm out on P.K. Subban. The name no longer matches the game. I'm out on him as well. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from did the you, 314. Did you mean to quote TLC there? Absolutely. As a Packers fan, I hate asking this, but hypothetically speaking, if the Packers traded Aaron Rodgers to the Broncos or the Steelers, what would be a good return? Ben in Roethlisberger. Your mind? Well, that's, yeah, it's gonna be difficult. I mean, you got to get like three first-round picks. Yeah, yeah, and and an all-star player. I mean, if T.J. Watt and two first-round picks. Stafford was acquired for two first-round picks. Now, one of those was basically to get Jared Goff off the books. But if he's getting two first-round picks. That's the minimum is at least two. You should probably get about three for a guy that could win the MVP. Who? Let's see here. Who has multiple picks in this year's draft? So the Giants Doesn't have Carolina. The Giants are an interesting possibility. Miami, don't they? The Jets have a couple, but they're not going to be an option for them. What about Philly? Philly's got the 15th and 16th overall pick in this year's draft. Oh, I thought Philly's had Jalen Hurts. He was their number one <laughs> yeah. guy. Uh, oh, they have three first round picks, actually. Oh, well, they they can, can trade the 15th, 16th and 19th overall picks <laughs> this year. To the I would absolutely I don't not do that if I'm Philly. I would keep all of those. Oh, I would do that in a heartbeat. Oh, I would do it in a heartbeat, too. Yeah, I don't I know weapons if I'd... for Aaron Rodgers. Figure it out. Yeah. I'll sign one. I mean, Tampa Bay didn't have weapons for Tom Brady, and then He's... Tom Brady came in and played GM. Well, ah, they Tom, had Mike Evans and, and Tom Chris Brady could Godwin. also okay, win games well, with nobody. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers has on had... On the offensive side of the ball, they had the weapons. Defensively, they weren't as what they were. Tom Brady won games with nobody. Aaron Rodgers can't win games with Devontae Adams. Adams choked in the playoffs. Get That's out what of the here. Was. Adams didn't choke. Rodgers didn't throw the ball to him. The he Dolphins? He just triple covered. Dolphins have a, have an extra pick this year. They, yeah, they're they like, going. They like new yeah. alarm to a. <laughs> the Detroit Lions. <laughs> I think Ryan said. I think they would trade him, trade him within name. the division. Who? The Detroit Lions. You think they would trade him within the division? Yeah, no. the Lions would be like, what are we going to do with this guy? I don't think they guy? would trade him to the NFC. That's why I don't think the Eagles are possible. you're probably right there. there. There's just not a whole lot of great options, honestly, in terms of teams that have multiple picks this year in the draft. I think you're probably looking at the Broncos trading a first-round pick this year, a first-round pick next year, and a second-round pick this year, and probably a really good player. 
like Bradley Chubb or Jerry Judy, somebody that's on a rookie deal right now that you're going to, it's going to hurt when you give them up if you're the Broncos. That's the type of thing that I think that you probably have to expect them to, to do to make this work. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to actually continue that kind of a game. Trade, draft, or stay. What do these teams do with their quarterback situations? The headliner this offseason, San Francisco, but there's about five or six other teams that are going to have to make significant decisions on their quarterback spot. But next, Danny Mack, Cardinals broadcaster for Bally Sports Midwest. I want to talk to him about what he thinks the Cardinals will do when things open back up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line now to be joined by our friend and a man that has done quite a bit of radio already today. He's Danny Mack joining us here on the show. Dan, how you doing, man? Well, I'm doing well. I uh, I have been sleepless last couple of days, worried about you, BK. Just in Seattle? You've been hanging out up there? What's going on, Dan? I think you know what I'm referring to. You just reference a Meg Ryan movie? I, I did indeed. That's yeah, a fantastic did. one. one, I, one I, of didn't, the best. I didn't get the reference. No, I know you didn't. You've never seen Sleepless in Seattle? No, he that's... hasn't seen... Dan, he has not seen Wolf of Wall Street. He has not seen Tombstone. He has not seen Billy Madison. Our guy T-Bone is struggling. Well, T-Bone, you know, he was telling me on his Tinder page that uh, his favorite movie he put up there was Transformers. That checks out. There. That, that sounds there. about right. That, that He's sense. a big Shia LaBeouf fan. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I, I just have been worried about BK with what happened with the Chiefs. I'm not trying to rub it in or anything. I wouldn't do that to you, BK. Never. Go Cards. I'm just, I'm just trying to make sure you're okay. You're in a good uh, mental state and physically, you're okay. I saw the pictures from the Big Bash on Sunday. T Bone was rubbing it in. Alex was taking great pride in the fact that you were not having a good time, and I, I don't think that's right. If they were good partners to you, they wouldn't do that. Actually, Dan, I think it was exactly right. I think that's how I would treat my friends as well. <laughs> Dan. And I'm, I would have been upset if they didn't give me as much crap as they did. Dan, you know better than anybody. He's insufferable. That's 100% accurate. No, not on Twitter when the Chiefs are playing. No, or Mizzou. Go Cards. Uh, yes. Dan, I, I, my big thing is, and we can move on from this here in just a moment, but like, I, I'm trying to think of what it would be like for St. Louis, but I, I guess it would be the equivalent of... Albert Pujols early on in his career just completely failing in a big moment which like you just never expect that to happen right he comes up in a big spot you expect him to get the big hit and for the first three years of Patrick Mahomes' career that's the way it went and we saw it the previous week he had 13 seconds left and he made it work that was enough time for him and then against the Bengals of all teams the damn Bengals he just failed like I, I had never seen it before and, and Patrick Mahomes failed on the biggest possible stage and that's how their season came to an end. So it was less so about me. Like I wasn't even necessarily upset or mad, although obviously that comes afterwards. I was just more in shock that we saw something that I had never seen from Patrick Mahomes in his career. Yeah, I get it. And I, I think, though, I know you probably do not agree with this. I, I think we at some point have to give the Bengals some credit for the adjustment that they made in the second half. When oh, they're I dropping that eight back. I totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but, you know, I'm not sure in terms – that's a good question. In terms of, like, an individual not coming through on the biggest stage, I, I mean, I guess you could say Gretzky was on the ice for the Iserman goal, uh, which was a crushing defeat for any Blues fan back in that time period. It was awful. That, that team could have won the Cup. It was a really good team, and Iserman comes down and puts it over John Casey's shoulder. 
Um, in terms of like my dreams. Yeah, that was that was tough, Alex. And then like Don Denkinger, obviously that call with the Royals and the Cardinals in the World Series, but that's not an individual really not coming through in the big time. And he had two opportunities. That's what was so stunning is you had the end of the game situation where he took that horrible sack and they had three opportunities with him there. And then you get into overtime and again, back-to-back plays, just weird misthrows. And then he throws the interception, which basically all but ended the game. It's just, it's almost as if you had an all-time great hockey player that had an opportunity to end the game in a shootout. And then he just, he didn't come through and everybody expected him to. And we all thought that we were getting ready to go home with a win and it didn't work, but um, that it's almost hard to come up with an equivalent because of how important the quarterback position is. I I guess it's almost like the LeBron James series against uh, the Dallas Mavericks where he just, he failed on the biggest possible stage and it's the black mark of his career. I guess you got to, you know, you got to think of like a game seven and a big frontline starter, you know, in the World Series or something and going yeah. out and giving you an inning in two thirds or, you know, just a, on a the playoffs early on in his career. Yeah. I mean, you could probably, I guess, but I don't know, man. Mahomes is pretty much, <laughs> That's he's the weird. best in the world. So there's other really good guys, but he's the best. And I still, though, when I look and reflect on that game, I don't know why you don't take the points at the end of the half. I, I just... They're giving you the points. Take the points. I had take no issue points. with them going for it. You cannot throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage. You exactly. cannot throw it there. It's either got to be you're taking you know, the points or you're throwing it at the end zone, and then you take the points right afterwards. And that's a little bit of the mental side. Like They've got to know better than that. I mean, that's football 101. You know, you drop it, you still got time on the clock, and or you know, incomplete, you still got time on the clock. So, yeah, I'm with you, and I'm, I'm sure that was shocking for their coaching staff and for everybody that follows them. Okay. Like yourself. Well, let's get to the Cardinals, Dan. I've got okay. some questions for you because last <laughs> yes, week we talked to Derek Gould, and it was a really interesting conversation, and we asked him about how the Cardinals view some of their, their young relievers who have the, at least the opportunity to be starters, guys like Jordan Hicks, who I know you've been talking since we did the show together about him potentially stretching out, Alex Reyes, Jake Woodford, those three in particular – And Derek mentioned the possibility of them serving as kind of a shadow rotation is what he referred to it as, where they would come in maybe the third time through the order for guys like Michaelis, maybe Matt's, certainly a guy like Dakota Hudson, and give you that middle inning relief. That is a very modern approach to pitching. It is something that we haven't really seen from the Cardinals in the past. Do you think that's under consideration legitimately for the Cardinals this year? Yeah, I also think lineup changes, too. I, I think one of the things that we're going to see is a difference with Mike Schilt is that with Ali Marmol, I do think that you're going to see multiple leadoff guys and some that may catch your eye. I, like you may see what the Cubs did with Rizzo or Schwarber on a given day. Um, that wouldn't surprise me. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me with a lefty on the mound that Bader is a leadoff hitter. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And in terms of the pitching, it wouldn't surprise me for them to do this. And as we edge closer to the start of spring training, and if there's no agreement, it makes a lot of sense because then your spring training is shortened. I'm not sure what else Woodford has to do in the minor leagues to, to get to this level and stick. So I, I would definitely think he's in that role. I like Reyes in the bullpen. I'm not necessarily sure I want him as my closer, but I do, I, I'm not giving up on, on Alex Reyes. His stuff is just too good. And eventually, you know, maybe does he graduate towards the bull, uh, to the rotation if there's an injury? Yeah, I could see that. And Hicks, I just got to see that he's healthy before I make a decision on what I want to do with him. Now, part of the decision 
if they would move him into a, a hybrid role like that or into a rotation is that I think that they feel, and others around baseball that I've talked to, I haven't heard this specifically from the Cardinals, but the kind of workload that you would get as a closer with the torque that he has on a slider and the fact that he throws 100-plus multiple times, he's the hardest thrower in baseball, that that can take a lot out of the arm and the body, and maybe by having a regimented schedule that that is beneficial to him. So I think that's part of the thought process maybe behind why they would want to do that with him. Dan, on the offensive side of things, Derek Gould in his chat referenced that back at the GM meetings, John Mozalock said that you know the team is hoping to upgrade their offense, but so many national media individuals, they say that the Cardinals just need to continue to add pitching. Do you feel like the Cardinals are still looking at offense, or are they just relying on these younger players to be that offensive upgrade? I think a little bit of both. I think if something falls in their laps, um, yeah, I think that could happen. Because it could be like the wild, wild west when they say, okay, we got a deal in place, and starting at 6 a.m. tomorrow, you know what, Uh, business is back on. And there's a lot of unsigned players where guys need to get deals and they don't want to be on the outside looking in. So you may have somebody fall back to you. So that I could see that happening. But they do have the emergence of Nolan Gorman, and you have the emergence of Jordan Walker. And I was talking with you guys a couple of weeks ago about this, is that those guys are, are in the fold, and they're going to be in the fold for the long term. Now, does that mean that they break uh, Jupiter with the club and go north? Not necessarily, but are they here next year? There's a real good chance. Is one of them here by the end of this season? Yeah, there's a real good chance. So the investment, the financial investment of putting it into a big-time bopper is you're going to run out of spots or you're going to have to create space. And so I think that they like what they have in Nupar. I think they like what they have in Yepes. And maybe initially that would be the direction that they go. What's the trajectory this year for Jordan Walker in your mind? That's a great question. And I wish we would have a full spring training to see him in a major league camp and to see him compete against what could be a Max, uh, Max Scherzer start with the Mets and to see how he, how he fares. Uh, but I could see him at AAA at some point. I would think AA, you start maybe by AAA. And if he's tearing it up, you never know what could happen this year. And that's saying a lot for a kid of his age. I get it. But there's also been a lot of accolades thrown his way. And it started from the day that he signed and when they got him to Bush Stadium and then they got him down into Florida and people were like, whoa, this guy is something else. And then they started looking at the analytics of, let's just say, the, the bat speed, uh, exit velocity, launch angle, the things that are measurable. And it was like, whoa. And he started graduating towards these better pitchers and better competition. And he hasn't stopped BK. So I think he starts at double A. And that's aggressive. I get it. They've been very aggressive with their minor league guys. And by the end of the year, certainly at AAA, and then see where it takes you. We're talking to Danny Mack for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Dan, final question that I wanted to get from you, and we'll, I'll let Alex get one more if he's got one as well. Um, I, who do you think is entering a make-or-break season this year for the Cardinals? Of course, Paul DeYoung is the first name that comes to that's mind for guy. everybody. Is there anybody yeah. else? I, I, you know, I, I thought you may ask me this, and we've talked about it off the air. It, it's the young for me. Um, I'm kind of fascinated with Andrew Kisner, and I'll tell you, it'll be interesting to see what they want to do with that backup role. And I say that because what's the workload for Yachty? So are we, are we looking at if we have 162 games? Are we looking at 120 games? Is he at 100 games? Are you comfortable then with Kisner being that guy? Ali Sanchez is a guy that they like in the minor leagues. We saw him a little bit last year in the major leagues. So is it make or break for Kisner? 
I don't think it's make or break, but you know, you're starting to get in that point in his career and his age. You've got to make a decision on what you're thinking his future is with your club. I don't know if you've thought that, but that's where I'm at with him. And is he the guy moving forward, or are you looking at uh, Avon Herrera? And is he the guy that you think is the, the one to take the reins and be the guy that gets the bulk of the starting? So I, I, if you would have asked me this last year, I would have said Tyler O'Neill, and now I'm saying it's probably DeYoung, and then trying to figure out where where's the trajectory right now in the career of Andrew Kisner, who's been playing, by the way, winter ball all winter long. So I'll be interested to see what that looks like. He's Danny Mack, Cardinals broadcaster for Bally Sports Midwest. Check out his work over at scoopswithdannymack.com. You can hear him this week and next on the morning show as well from 7 to 10 o'clock. Dan, we appreciate the time as always. My man, we'll talk to you again next week. Always fun, guys. Thanks. You bet. That's Danny Mack here on 101 ESPN. Alex, somebody on the text line, to go back to our beginning of the conversation there with Dan, made a really interesting comparison. It would be like if uh, what we saw with Patrick Mahomes failing at the end of that game is essentially the equivalent to Tiger Woods in the peak of his powers failing to secure a Masters on a Sunday. He's wearing the the red shirt. And he ends up missing the putt on 18 to be able to win. And he double bogeys like that. That's basically what Mahomes did on Sunday. And that's what was so sh- stunning about it, at least to me as a Chiefs fan. <laughs> For Alex Ferrario and Taylor Hendricks, I'm Brandon Kylie. In about 15 minutes or so, yesterday, the Minnesota Wild, this is strange, but true, made a huge signing that actually could have a significant impact on the Blues. We'll tell you why coming up at 1230. But next, trade, draft, or stay. That's the decision that a number of teams in the NFL have to make with their quarterback position. We'll get through a few of them coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Lost me for the rest of the show. Side Project, one of the best breweries in the world, just announced their Stout Week two weeks from now, and I am so excited. Two we- or, yeah, two weeks from today, I will be there at three o'clock. So I, I hope you can get time away from your Peloton. I will be completely checked out from this show. Speaking of checked what out, what are the 49ers going to do with their quarterback on? situation? Oh, man, that is something that they will certainly be trying to figure out over the offseason with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's play a game of trade, draft, or stay, boys. We've got six different teams. We're going to start with Kansas City. That we can go through their quarterback trade. situations. Yeah, let's start with Kansas City. What do you do with Patrick Mahomes? Do you trade him? Do you draft to improve? Or do you stay with Patrick Mahomes? I think you trade him. His best years are behind him. How old is he? Like 40. Oh, yeah. You got to get rid he's of him. 26. That's way too old. Like trade. 23, 24 is your peak. Plus, about he's too worried 30. about the Kansas City Royals than he is about the Chiefs. Okay. About 30 is the time he got traded. And he's very selfish with the amount of money he makes. So I would trade him right now. In all seriousness, the, obviously, the Chiefs don't have a decision to make here. But the 49ers do. And I've been surprised, guys, over the last 24 hours or so. I know that. Peter Schrager came out and said that the 49ers should keep Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Mike Tannenbaum, former NFL general manager, now on ESPN, said the same thing. I, I don't know how you do that or why you would do that. Jimmy Garoppolo is easy for them to cut if they want to. They could save $25 million or they could trade him, and it was the, it's the same thing. It's only $1 million in dead cap. It's a perfectly tradable contract for them. Do you trade him? Do you draft to improve, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense since they just did that, or do you stick with Jimmy Garoppolo if you're the 49ers? I'd trade him. I mean, you draft to Trey Lance for a reason because you feel like he's going to be the number one guy for you. 
You could have you could have spent that pick on another area on your team and made your team better, but you win a quarterback. So it, it, it seems like the writing is on the wall for Jimmy G. And like you just mentioned, you're saving money and it's not as big of a cap hit to trade him away. Get yourself an asset. I don't know what it would be because he has had struggles over the last couple of years and he is injury plagued, but I would trade him and then make Trey Lance my number one guy. Yeah, I think I would trade him too. And, and I don't know if I'm completely sold on Trey Lance, but it was such a small sample size. They must have saw something in, in him internally. And that was kind of the way we thought they were going to do it, where they were going to draft him, let him sit here, kind of what the Chiefs had did with Patrick Mahomes, where he sat behind Alex Smith before a year before they moved him. I, I think you trade Jimmy G and give Trey Lance the, the reins to it. I mean, he had five touchdowns, two picks, and threw for over 600 yards this year. And his rating was 97.3. So he, he wasn't bad just had a very small sample size you've got to trade jimmy garoppolo this seems very simple to me uh, you tr- you drafted trey lance to be able to take you further than jimmy g did we saw in this game against the rams why you can't go further with jimmy garoppolo as your quarterback in the two games in the playoffs guys he was 27 for 49 for less than 400 yards he had two touchdowns and two interceptions uh or excuse me three games in the playoffs he finished with three interceptions and two touchdowns. I mean, what that's not a quarterback that's going to take you far in the postseason. You are winning in spite of Jimmy Garoppolo, not because of him. So next year, once you get into the regular season, your starting quarterback needs to be Trey Lance. He's going to add something to your running game, which is already, I know for Tanner, terrifying. And now you add another element with a quarterback being able to run as well. All right. Yeah, that's that's got to be the route that you go. The 49ers, to me, seems like the easiest team when it comes to any of these decisions. They have to decide to trade Jimmy G, use that money elsewhere. Go ahead and go with Trey Lance next season. One that I find really interesting, though, is the Oakland Raiders because Vegas the, Raiders. Excuse me. My goodness. I can't believe I'm still doing that. The Vegas Raiders. <laughs> They just decided to hire yesterday Josh McDaniels. He was announced and he said he is ready to build around Derek Carr. He's entering the final year of his contract. If they want to keep him, they're going to have to give him a big money extension. You're talking 30 plus million dollars per year with lots of guaranteed money for Derek Carr. Guys, do you trade Derek Carr? Do you draft to potentially have a successor internally? Or do you stick with Derek Carr for at least another year and probably for beyond? I would say draft and stick with Derek Carr for one more year. The problem is I don't see anybody in this draft. And we were talking about this in the office. Like there is nobody in this draft that I feel like, oh, yeah, you put this guy in the in the backup role for a couple of years and then he's ready to take off. But I, I don't see the point of trading him, especially if you go out and sign Josh McDaniels, like you're bringing him in to coach your quarterback. And I if you can stay with this and pay him the money because unfortunately he has not progressed for you so I would say draft and go one more year with Derek Carr I think I'm going to stay with Derek Carr I I can tell you now I don't plan on drafting for any of these teams just because the way that the draft looks there's nobody picking okay but I don't see him being a franchise altering quarterback so I think I'm going to stay with Derek Carr. Josh McDaniel seems in on him. I will just build around that offense with Derek Carr. I mean, he had an okay year this year. I, I, I mean, I can't look at Derek Carr and say, okay, his ceiling is going to beat one of these top teams in the AFC and get us to a Super Bowl. But who is? But I, I don't think every any, year with him. I know, but I don't think there's anybody on the market. I don't think there's anybody in the draft that is going to get me to that point. It's basically, okay, let's build around Derek Carr. Let's pay, improve the defense. And then let's just see if we can go on a run. I mean, they're just stuck in this weird phase of being in the 
conference that has five elite quarterbacks. And so. the division specifically with two exactly. of them. And that's what's really tough. You brought in Josh McDaniels to make these kinds of decisions. He needs to be able to decide who his next quarterback's going to be. So it's going to be a purely Josh McDaniels decision. And after hearing him yesterday, and I know some of this is probably coach speak, I really do sincerely believe they're going to build around Derek Carr. Now, they might be proven wrong in doing so, but you got to add a couple more weapons for him this offseason. Like if Devontae Adams becomes available, the Raiders should be all over that. They were college teammates, so they have some chemistry from the past. They both went to Fresno State. You could reunite that in Las Vegas. It is a destination for free agents the way that Los Angeles has become one. I I think you build around him. I think you give him a long-term extension this offseason, and you find out what it looks like with him and Josh McDaniels. McDaniels is the best offensive mind that Derek Carr has ever worked with, and yes, that includes being better than what you had with John Gruden. So I think I would build around him. I don't see a better alternative. Like the other guys that are on the market – are basically Derek Carr that you just haven't worked with previously. Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo, all these guys, unless you could go out there and get a Aaron Rodgers or a Russell Wilson. If you can do that, yeah, trade for one of those guys. But otherwise, I think you stick with and build around Derek Carr. I mentioned one of the other teams that has to make a big decision. The Minnesota Vikings. There was a piece earlier today on The Athletic. Tater, I know you enjoyed this. Arif Hassan, who is a beat writer and an analyst for the Vikings, basically said Kirk Cousins is not an elite quarterback. He's never going to become an elite quarterback, and there's no way to get around that. And so the Vikings have a problem. Here's the issue for the Vikings. His contract is basically fully guaranteed. Mistakes were made in Minnesota. They can trade him, though, and they remove $35 million of that deal, but they cannot cut him. If you're going to get rid of Kirk Cousins this offseason, you got to trade him. Alex... Do you trade, draft, or stay with Kirk Cousins if you're the uh, the Minnesota Vikings? By the way, we don't know who their next head coach is going to be. Sounds like it might be Jim Harbaugh. I think I might stay with him uh, because I, I'd, I'd like to give him a shot with a different head coach that's not Mike Zimmer. Like, I, I think, unfortunately, for Kirk Cousins, and we do poo-poo on him a lot here. T-Bone does. I never do. I mean, he is but overrated, but we, cool. we do talk down about Kirk Cousins, who in some people's conversations this year was an MVP candidate for the year that he had. I think he has been hurt by Mike Zimmer a lot. So give me a little creativity on the coaching side. If Jim Harbaugh is the guy, I like that matchup. Give me one more year of it. And if he looks like he's going places, then I'm going to stick with this. So I think this is the better route to go. Also for cap purposes, I just don't know if it's worth trading and dealing with all of that. Yeah, I'm going to stay with Kirk Cousins as well. I mean, you mentioned 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions, over 4,000 yards this season, 4,200 yards this season. He had a, re- a really good year. And I get the record they were, he was 8-8 eight eight as the starting quarterback, but that was on the defense. I think we talked about it multiple times on the show throughout the NFL week. It was man, the Vikings and their situational defense was not great this year. And there are weapons there in Minnesota for him to have the continued success. I I take it to you guys when we saw the reports of Harbaugh's going to be in Minnesota. I think he's interviewing tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's today. Oh, is it today? Yeah. I love a Jim Harbaugh hire in Minnesota. Like, I think it just makes a ton of sense. Bring in a veteran head coach. He'll get the defense solidified a little bit. They can do that in the offseason. And they're not going to make the fundamental mistakes they made under Mike Zimmer, which is weird to say because I think Mike Zimmer is a great defensive coach. I I think a Jim Harbaugh hire, keeping Kirk Cousins, and we're going to be talking about the Vikings, especially if Aaron Rodgers retires as the favorites in the NFC North. Is Kirk Cousins all that different? And, And I know in terms of talent, people will tell you that the answer to this question is yeah they are that different i don't view him as being all that different than matthew stafford 
I think that hurts. I honestly think they're pretty similar. Yeah, I would agree with that. Look at what happened with Stafford when you put him on a decent team. Yeah, it, it went really well. And give him a better head coach. But for years in Detroit, it was a question of like, is it is he really that good? He always had the talent, but is he is he as good as people tell me that he is? Because he's not doing a whole lot of winning. Meanwhile, Kirk Cousins has done a decent amount of winning in in Minnesota and certainly when he was with Washington as well. I think Kirk Cousins is pretty good. I think he's better than Derek Carr. I think he's better than Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't think he's a top 10 quarterback, but I think you can win with him as your quarterback. I would run it back one more year. See what it looks like in the first year of whoever this next head coach is, because I don't think you're going to significantly upgrade with anybody that's on the market right now. And I do think you're kind of in win now mode if you're the Vikings. I would run it back one more year. Find out if it works or not. And if it doesn't, you move on from from Kirk Cousins. His contract is up and you decide to walk away and you go your separate ways. If it does work, great. Now you can re-sign him and you figure it out moving forward in a long-term contract. But I I think I would build around him. I would stay with Kirk Cousins Uh, if I was the Vikings. A Minnesota radio host just tweeted this out. Apparently Jim Harbaugh wants the job and the GM wants to hire him. Harbaugh's big sell would have to be the ownership and the rest of the people involved in the decision. Likely plenty of questions about what happened in San Francisco. I would hire him. I would hire him too. I think when we look back at this hiring process, I think there is a I think five years from now, he might get fired. (laughs) I think that is very much in play. But I think in this next three-year stretch, there is a very good chance Jim Harbaugh will look back three years from now and say that was the best hire from this cycle. Uh, And I'm glad you... I think it could be a Doug Peterson type of hire where it like fails spectacularly at the end, but but the the first first three years years are really impressive. You just got to give him creativity, and I think that's what he has been missing because Mike Zimmer has had zero... It's the same question that was Detroit. He never had the creativity with the head coach, and I think you need that right now. Uh, And I'm glad you brought up the point of they're in win-now mode. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers retires, I just said they're probably the favorites in the NFC North. Guys, Kirk Cousins might be like the second or third best quarterback in the whole NFC. Man, that's a really good point. And, and if that's the Stafford case, Stafford and Cousins. Yeah, if that's the case, and Wilson, depending on what Seattle does, but I would still view Wilson. I ahead think of I him. would. Uh, I don't know. I, I, Not the way that he's played Dak. with Seattle. Oh, Dak's Dak, a good yeah, one. I forgot Dak's, about Dak. He's top so five. He's like top four in the NFC and the best in the NFC North. So if you're the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, you have to keep Kirk Cousins in my mind. Oh, we forgot about Jalen Hurts in the NFC. Yeah, we, we didn't. Or With Taylor Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Come Kylie. On. We'll dive into the junk drawer in about 10 minutes or so. But coming up next, there was big news for the Minnesota Wild yesterday, and it could have some significant impact on the Blues with some of their potential contract extensions. We'll Free tell you about up. it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, what would you say if I told you yesterday the Minnesota Wild made a signing that could have significant implications for the Blues? Well, I'd say that's not possible because they're a different team. They are indeed, but Jordan Greenway is a very a good, good player who has some Thanks, similarities buddy. to a couple of the players on oh, the yeah? St. Louis like Blues. Like what? How about Oscar Sundquist, for example? I thought Jordan we were trading him. Jordan yeah, Greenway, I we were trading him I'm not Barbara doing Chef. that. I'm not doing that. Are you that. trading him today because he is good? There might be some conversations about that here in about two minutes. Jordan Greenway has very similar numbers in his career to Oscar Sundquist. Now, the difference is Greenway was about to hit free agency. Sonny has one year left on his contract at $2.75 million. The place where I do think this is very interesting, though, is Jordan Greenway announced yesterday he was signing a three-year deal worth $9 million with the Wild. So it's a three-year extension starting after this upcoming year, Alex. That is the kind of deal that as we are kind of right now in this break for the Blues, 
I think if the Blues wanted to re-sign Oscar Sundquist, I think they could offer him that today and Sonny would have a pretty good chance of saying yes to it. I do think, though, there is one other guy that this could have some implications for as being a floor conversation. Ivan Barbashev is just flat out better than Jordan Greenway. You look at the numbers and they're just not all that close anymore. They were coming into the season, but now Barbie has taken a significant lead on what he is as a player compared to Greenway. The reason why I find that to be interesting, Alex, and why I find it to be noteworthy is because before this season, I think you could have convinced me that Barbashev's contract would be something similar to this three year or three years, three to three and a half million dollars per season. I think you're looking at something closer to four plus million dollars at this point in time. If you wanted to extend Ivan Barbashev. So as we're kind of doing some of this math on what can the Blues do at the trade deadline, what are they going to have to do with Vladimir Tarasenko? How does Matthew Kachuk fit into this mix? What does it mean for the future of David Perron and Ivan Barbashev, Oscar Sundquist, looking at the blue line and where they could make upgrades there? How, how does all of this math work for the Blues? I think this is a place to start. I think we have to have some conversations right now and certainly in the offseason about what the future holds for these two players in particular and whether or not you're going to be able to keep them at these kinds of numbers. Yeah, the only difference between Greenway and Sunquist and Barbashev is Greenway was going to be a restricted free agent with Minnesota, so they had the control. I thought it was a UFA, my bad. Uh, I thought he was an RFA, but maybe you are correct with that. But we know Sunquist and Barbashev are unrestricted free agents in the age 26 and 27. I, I think... That is a perfect comp for Oscar Sundquist. Barbashev, I think you're looking at a David Perron type of number, maybe a Brandon Sod with what he signed at four and a half for five seasons. That's what Ivan Barbashev is going to require as long as he keeps this production up because we did see uh, him go into a little bit of a dry spell over these last six games before they went into this break. But Oscar Sundquist, let me read you a quote from Bill Guerin during Greenway's press conference yesterday when they gave him the extension. And I think this is exactly what Oscar Sundquist is. Bill Guerin said, in a strong culture, you have to have character people, but you also have to have characters. That's Oscar Sundquist. So I think this is a perfect deal for Sundquist. Now, does he try and bank on himself and hope that he can have a repeat of 2019-2020 with a healthy season? Maybe, because I do believe that peak Oscar Sundquist is a 15-goal 40, 45 point per season player, third-line player for you. And I think he can get there when he's healthy. But if you can lock up a player like this for that type of deal, it's exactly what you would want to do. Because the, the difference with Oscar Sundquist and Ivan Barbashev compared to a Jordan Greenway is Jordan Greenway is five on five and he's penalty kill. I don't believe he's on their power play. Maybe I'm mistaken on this, but I don't believe he's a prototypical power play guy. Sundquist and Barbashev are everything for you. Power play, penalty kill, five on five, four on four. You could throw them out there at three on three because they're probably going to play that way. They're responsible in their own zone just as much as they are in the offensive zone. And Sundquist plays the style. Ivan Barbashev plays the style that Craig Berube wants his team to implement on the ice. So if Greenway's looking at this type of deal, I think you can match this with Oscar Sundquist. But I do believe if you're talking Ivan Barbashev, Barbashev, if he continues this pace, is going to be looking for a David Perron, Brandon Saad type of deal. And in my opinion, the Blues have to get that done. So I, I am mistaken. I thought that this was a UFA situation. It was an RFA situation after this upcoming season. So that would keep the money down even a little bit more. But so, here's the thing, too. Greenway already did that bridge contract. Right. It was a two-year, 2.1 deal. This was his next contract. And I think that Sunquist and Barbashev are in the middle of their, their bridge contract. Yeah. And, and now it's going to the next level of it. So I, I, I was r- mistaken on that. I do think it still does give you a potential path forward with Oscar Sundquist in particular. Let's start there, Alex. 
If you're the Blues and you see this news yesterday and you you know Barbashev's or excuse me, Sonny's agent is probably seeing that news as well. Do you go to him with something like this? Like you're as high on on Oscar Sundquist as anybody. Yeah. Do you go to Sonny and say, hey, we know you have one year left on your deal. We would like to extend you beyond that. We would like to give you a three year, three million dollars per season deal on top of next year. So it would be a four year contract remaining here in St. Louis. Are you going to him with that right now or are you waiting for it, seeing if he gets back to the version of himself that we saw last year or in years past, and then maybe waiting until next year this time when they are back to another all-star break and then offering him a deal like that? I'd go to him now with it because I think you can get a steal with this because I think Sonny at his peak could probably get an Ivan Barbashev type of deal. I think somebody would pay him three and a half, four million dollars $4 And if you could lock him up, I mean, what, he's 26 years old? Like you can lock him up at the prime of his career. And I mean, he's shown signs of improvements this season that he's starting to trend in the right direction. It's just, you got two hips and one ACL surgery that you're coming off of. So I would approach him with it. I don't know if he would accept it. I think he might say, let me see what I do next year. And then we can come back to this. But if I'm Doug Armstrong, I absolutely would go to this because it takes one thing off of my, my table when it comes to having to negotiate next season with Thomas and Cairo and figure out Ryan O'Reilly and decide what you're going to do. I would move to those two and try and make the decision now. It also allows you to know in 2023 and beyond when you've got big time money coming off of the books with Ryan O'Reilly and you got to figure out what you're doing with him. It allows you to know exactly what you have on the books for that year for a guy like Oscar Sundquist. I will say I would not do this. I'm with you. And it's not because I hate Oscar Sundquist. I know I get painted into that corner. I, I, I don't. But I have some real reservations about where Oscar Sundquist is right now health-wise. He did have the ACL issue. He had both hips that he had surgically repaired last offseason. I want to see him get back to 100% before I'm investing long-term money in him. Now, even if he doesn't get back to the player that he was, if he's 70% of that guy now because of all of the issues that he's had injury-wise, $3 million is not breaking the bank. It's fine. You, you could make that work. It's the four years. That's the problem. The three years on top of what he already has under contract. So I think I would wait. I would wait this one out. If I'm going to the table with anybody right now, it would be Ivan Barbashev. And it would be, hey, Barbie, we'll sign you right now to $4 million per season for the next three plus years. Like, I will give you the money that is currently earmarked or was earmarked for David Perron. He was making $4 million on his previous contract. Barbie, that's going to go towards you now. I'd be willing to do that. I'm not sure I'm going to the table just yet with Oscar Sundquist. I would wait until this time next year. Yeah, I I get that. And I'm sure a lot of people would would side on on that angle of it. But I just I've seen peak Oscar Sundquist and I'm imagining a 26, 27 year old is going to be able to trend in the right direction. And I've seen signs of it this year. And I'd be worried that next season he comes out guns blazing as an unrestricted free agent and is ready to go for four by four. And that's going to be too costly. Are, are you more concerned just as the, in the injuries as a whole, or is it like more specifically the hip or the ACL? Because I look at the ACL as my biggest concern and I get it. He's not a Robbie Fabry, but that's, that was kind of the yeah, but look at Fabry now with Robbie Detroit. Fabry. I get it, but it took him a couple of years to get back to form. Yeah. Maybe that was the change of scenery. And I also think that's, that's the concern. style that Fabry played, and it wasn't matching the identity that's of the fair. Blues team at the time. You put Fabry on this team now, I think he's probably what he's doing in Detroit. That's part of my issue, though, is I, I think Sonny's style of play leads to these kinds of things. But like, I, I, think, I think he might be a guy 
that's not getting injured. Like these were injuries. He an ACL repair or something. And, and that's a significant injury. Really wasn't his fault. Hundred percent. That that's a freak accident. And they did the hips because they were already doing the the hips were already bothering him. They did Correct. the hips because the ACL was already happening. I think you're going to have a lot of wear and tear issues with with Oscar Sundquist over the next three to five years I because of the that. way that he plays. And that isn't that's honestly a, a badge of respect and a badge of honor for him because that dude plays really hard and really physical when he's right. And I, I just don't know what that's going to look like when he's 30, 31, 32 years old. But you so, don't got to worry about that for four or five years. You could get this for three years. And yeah, but he's 27 now. Well, Next year he'll be 28. And if I'm signing into a three-year contract afterwards, I do have to worry about his age 30 and 31 seasons. And I just don't know what that's going to look like. I would rather see him get back to pure form first. And if I end up having to pay an extra million dollars per year, I'm willing to pay that tax so that way I don't end up with a potential sunk cost. Whereas with Ivan Barbashev, I'm really confident he's not going to have any any of those kinds of issues long term. I know we can play up and down my lineup right now. The player that I'm watching right now with Oscar Sundquist can't. He's a third or fourth line player. Ivan Barbashev can play on my top line or if I need him to in three years to be on my fourth line center, he can do that as well. I don't think he's going to be, but I think he can. So that's why I just have more confidence. I have more optimism about what the future holds for Ivan Barbashev than Sonny, at least right now. It might change a year from now, but as of today, I'm not going to the table with Oscar Sundquist. Not just yet, at least. I, I can listen to the argument, Alex. I see where you're coming from, and it makes sense to me. I'm just a little more cautious with his style of player. Because the downside is you might be signing a fourth-line player to a $3 million per year contract for multiple years after what he's already under contract for. And because you have a bunch of long-term deals now, I understand it could be a short-term deal and only for like $3 million, which isn't that big of a cost. But because of all the long-term deals you have, and that's going to add on to your, just your salary cap implications already down the road, that $3 million is going to be... It's going to be $3 million, but it's going to be viewed as more because of all the other long-term deals you have on the books. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 10 minutes, do the Cardinals go with a shadow rotation in 2022? Sounds a little strange. Derek Gould will explain that coming up in 10 minutes. But next, let's dive into the junk drawer coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. For today in the Junk Drawer, I want to talk about the weather. Oh, baby. It's nice outside. You guys, I thought about going no. to play around a round of golf no, today. No, it was nice outside. Still what nice is outside going on? The apocalypse is about to happen. Oh, really? It, or the snowpocalypse. Up to How much up. are we expecting man. now? Last I looked, uh, it was like 6 to 10. I thought it was what 1 to 78 hell, man? feet. I, I'm supposed to, to go to Disney feet. World on Thursday. Oh, my God. Oh, hey, here man, we go. I, I've got go. some issues All with this weather right about BK now. BK and his trips to Disney World. So 61 outside They're right projecting 761? Yeah. Is there going to be a tornado with all of this storm coming? Uh, th- no, that's not funny. Tornadoes are bad and they're I'm destructive, asking. and it's not usually fun to when joke you around. Go, usually when you go from 10 degrees to 61 degrees, problems ensue. That That is that is fair. Uh, it's supposed to be 61 right now. Oh, my God. It is supposed That's spring weather. It is supposed to be a low of 19 tomorrow. Guys, Puxatawney Phil is supposed to come out to see if he finds his shadow today. Really? That's yeah, today? I thought that was today. You think you could watch it live? 
I'm imagining he's gonna come out and just be like, yeah, I'm out, boys. Seven to ten inches feels like a lot. Nah. How are we doing the show? Oh. You guys staying around here? No, I don't stay around here. I live I live in High Ridge. Somebody said, whoa, you boys broadcasting from home tomorrow? I don't know, man. I don't know what we're doing. We're like we're I'm like, only ten minutes away. I don't know what I'm doing. We're like, we stand here. We're like the United like literally States. Literally at the radio station. We're like we're like the, the we're like the mail. We are. We, Rain, we always deliver. Storm, snow. I feel like we're that's not through. how it's been working of late, though. I've had a lot of mail that hasn't shown I was up. I'm gonna in say a, I don't no. have no. take <laughs> shots at our fine individuals at the mail company. Hey, they're doing everything they can. My mailman is fantastic. The problem look, is it's just taking a little while to go. Look, I I went to uh, my favorite place in the world yesterday, and that is the grocery store. Have my headphones, headphones, by on. the way. Alex was complaining about going to the grocery store at 1230. Yeah, Our I, I show was, is on the air until 2. was very worried. And Alex at 1230 was dreading the fact that he had to go to the grocery because store. Because I was Never worried that there was going to be a line around the building because, like, that's what happens. Bread, sure. milk, and eggs. That's what people are going for. I got there and wasn't crowded, but there was nothing. There was nothing in the grocery store. I mean, it was picked apart. That's what, and it was like 50 degrees yesterday. 60 degrees today. <laughs> Guys, am I going to be able to use my uh, my snowblower? Yeah, you probably will. Oh, hey, I'm gonna actually. Use that. I'm going to be behind, I'm going to be in front of my car. Kara's going to be driving. There you go. And I will be pushing the snowblower all the way to the airport when you on free, Thursday. When I'm you, willing to do oh, it. Oh, to the airport. When you free yourself tomorrow Gotta from the snow, Disney World. please come by my place and make sure I can get out too, okay? Yeah, I, I, let, you. I let you borrow my chain, my chainsaw. Can I borrow your snowblower? Hey, man, if you can get up to St. Charles, by all means, nah, you, you can you can use it. I'll pass. I'll stay in my neck of the woods. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 636. Guys, come play disc golf. We have great courses in Missouri. Disc golf? True. Take, I love disc golf. Is there diff, disc golf that takes place while there's seven to ten inches of snow on the ground? Yeah, why not? Yeah, you could. I mean, you, you, don't, you, don't need to, disc. you don't need to worry about the, the, I mean, uh, the snow to play disc golf. I've played disc golf in the high 30s and rain before. So. Why? Well, me and my buddies did a tournament. We said we were going to play no matter what, and then it happened to snow on the day of the final round. So uh, <laughs> Someone said, look, my ass has to work tomorrow, but I don't care if you broadcast from home. You better be broadcasting. <laughs> Five, seven, three, we will be on the air for you tomorrow. I just don't understand, man. This this came out of nowhere. As of like last week, I hadn't heard oh, anything about this. I knew that there was that whatever, the the bomb storm up in New I, York that we talked about, the two to twenty inches what's that funny, they were projecting. As we are talking about this, I just got a notification on my phone about this storm. A new winter storm will stretch two thousand miles and it can be the most snow in a century in some oh, places. This, come on, man. This is what I used to <laughs> So we all know how St. Louis works, though. Like, they say this, and we're going to wake up, and we're going to get a dusting tomorrow. But this is why I loved high school, because I went to Fox High School. Hey, and we're hoping for a uh, snow day tomorrow? You always were. But you knew that even if the, the, the meteorologists were incorrect, and you didn't get one to five inches of snow, yeah. you knew if you woke up with a dusting, they were going to cancel it because of the threat of a snowstorm. So this comes from one of the forecasts locally. There are some forecasts that show heavier snow in St. Louis, but we currently have the chance of 12 inches at 20%. No. So there's only a tw- one in five chance that we get a foot of snow. The worst. The better plan. odds are to hit eight inches, which is 60%. So it's almost 50-50 that we get any real significant accumulation. Man, so I don't, I'm going to be fine. I We're don't want to go, no go shovel tomorrow. That's the worst. What do you think are the odds that my plane actually leaves on Thursday? I would say, well, because you uh, are the BKO, I would say less than 5%. Oh, that's true. I wasn't even thinking BKO. You might BKO the, the uh, airport again. 
But hey, if you do. Why does this happen every time that I try to fly? Well, maybe you should stop trying to take vacation so much. The last time that I went somewhere, I was stuck there because their entire system went down <laughs> nationwide. Every single Southwest flight nationwide was grounded for like five hours. I can tell you all this. <laughs> I know for a fact that T-Bone will be in the building tomorrow. Because I have to. <laughs> BK and I might be, might be at our house, but I promise you, Tanner Hendrickson will be in the building. Hey, I'll be a good trooper about it. And just like what BK should do if his flight's delayed, I'm going to listen to some Christmas music for the occasion. Walking in a window Why would I do that? Are you really playing Christmas music right now, man? The metal, we yeah, can build a snowman. snowman. I'll, appro- I'll approve of this because it's Dean Martin. God, Dean Martin has just a great I'm not going on vacation, am I? No, you're not. You should just cancel that Hey, I can guarantee you who will be here on Friday. BK! BK. That's right. So what do you do with, like, your hotel and stuff? You gotta cancel that stuff? It's called losing money. Man. Oh, surely you can get some money back, right? You can't get money back, and don't call me Shirley. If you guys could say a prayer for me, I could really use it right about now. I think people should be using those for other things right now. Like being able to get out of their driveway Yeah, like being able to get some bread, milk, and eggs from the grocery store. Everybody can work remotely now. We've been doing this thing for two years. I feel like by now, if you don't have a home set up in some capacity, something's got to work wrong. I can't push the buttons on this board from home, so that ain't true. Someone said Tanner's in charge of the best of tomorrow and Thursday. (laughs) No, we will be on the air. Tomorrow we're fine, right? It's not supposed to get bad tomorrow. Well, it's rain, it's over, rain over today. Tonight is supposed Snow to be one overnight. It's ice that comes tonight because yeah. it's going to make Good. that transition. Good. It's going from Super 60 great. to 20 tonight. So Awesome. Can't Ryder. wait for that. Hey, Ryder, do you Uber? Will you just come pick all of us up tomorrow? Yeah. Why don't you do like one of the magic school bus and come Somebody pick us all says, up? Somebody says, does FanDuel have odds on the total accumulation of snow? What would you guys set oh. the over under at? For, for our area? Yeah. Let's, let's see. This is different at, though because I'm high ridge. Creek, let's you guys say are saying Charles because oh, this is sorry, where we all. This is our common place. Um, Six I, inches is that where we would set the over under? I would take the under on that I because feel, I think you get four to five. Yeah, I'd set I'd set the over under five and a half. Am I'm going to take the over. I feel like that we're actually going to get it because normally what happens is like I've seen this projection for the last week. That's always like oh five to ten inches, and then it like slowly the percentage goes down. Every time I keep looking, that percentage is still around 90%. Guys, there is so nothing more exciting that when you know there's a snowstorm and you go drive in it. I remember, I remember when you got stuck here during that Arizona yep. Coyotes game mm-hmm. uh, last year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I drove home immediately. Yeah, no, I was, I was stuck here, and I was like, I guess I'm sleeping here. At the time, I didn't have a, a baby at home, though, so that doesn't work anymore. My wife would basically say, who cares? Figure out a I, way to get home. I had to borrow the grandma's car because it could handle the snow better than mine. 65780 is your comfort so. service X line. Final thing here. A buddy who is a data analyst and self-taught meteorologist, he's actually reliable, says that his, this storm is going to compete with the blizzard of 82 official oh blizzard God. conditions coming to St. Louis. Oh, nice. my God. That guy might be completely talking out of his you know what. Yeah. I have no idea. It's very it's very much in play. This guy knows nothing and has no I I'm officially nervous. I have no I'm idea. I have no yeah. idea what was being set up today, but here at the stoplight uh where we turn in towards the head towards the office here, some guy was setting up equipment that looked like it was like meteorologist equipment Good. to like track something. So. Can't wait. <sighs> awesome. Yeah. Can't wait for that. Oh, wait. No, no, no snow days. Alongside Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Are the Cardinals going to the shadow rotation? We'll try to discuss what that even means coming up next on 101 ESPN. Walking in a window in the land. Well, in the meadow, we can build a snowman. Back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. I'm always interested in ways that teams are trying to innovate and what the next thing is going to be in sports. And last year we saw the Giants were able to really push this thing forward where they platooned in a way that we really haven't seen from a whole lot of teams other than like the Rays, for example. And they did so in a big market club with a high payroll. You don't see that very often from those types of teams. And they did so to great success. And what that means is, okay, now the other teams are going to try to steal some of those concepts. How do we do with our team what the Giants did a year ago to maximize the the potential of the guys that we have on our roster? Well, the Cardinals, when they fired Mike Schilt, said it was due to philosophical differences, Alex. And at the time, we speculated, okay, what exactly does that mean? Is this something where... Schultz wanted them to go out and get one of these big time shortstops and the Cardinals front office basically said, no, that's not what we're going to do. Did he view their young players differently than the front office did? Or is this a lineup construction, pitching utilization, legitimate difference in the way that they view the way that the game is, is going to be played in the future? I think what Derek Gould told us last week might've given us some hints on what some of, maybe not all of, some of those philo- philosophical differences would look like. We asked Derek how they, how the Cardinals could use guys like Reyes, Hicks, and Jake Woodford next season, because it doesn't sound like any of them are going to be starters. They also don't really fit into that one-inning reliever role either. How are they going to use those three in particular? You know, it's kind of, I, I think I've called it in the past, the accordion reliever, one who can go long, short, do a lot of different things. Um, they're going to carry multiple guys like that so that it gives Marmol and Maddox some creativity in the middle innings um, where they can use a guy for multiple innings. He'll not be available the next day or the next two days, but the next guy will be. It goes way back to what reminds me of sitting in Jupiter many, many years ago talking with Dave Duncan about what a team could do if it only had four starters that it trusted. Could it go with sort of a second-tier shorter term three guy rotation sort of a shadow rotation and that's kind of what they have in play in their roster this is really interesting to me alex i'm fascinated by this possibility so i i kind of mapped this out if you had a week where you had six games for the cardinal which is typically what it looks like you would go day one your your start is jack flaherty he goes six seven innings and then you go to your late inning relievers right i think they're going to sign one so maybe you end up going to let's call it ryan tapera uh cabrera and then you finish the game out with uh, Giovanni Gallegos. The next day you go to three of your other big time relievers and you close it out with Giovanni Gallegos after Adam Wainwright gives you six or seven innings again, right? So now you're on to the third starter. That's Steven Matz for them this year, let's say. He goes four or five. He gets you through two two times through the order. Then you flip things over to Alex Reyes, who's going to give you another two to three innings. So now you're seven, maybe eight innings into the game. You don't have to eat into that relief core quite as much because Reyes was able to eat some of those innings the third time through the order. So your starter doesn't have to go through there. Now Reyes is burned for the next three plus days. Next day, Miles Michaelis is your starter, your fourth starter. He goes four to five innings once again, gets through twice in the order. Now Jake Woodford takes over for two to three innings. Same situation. You've only got one or two innings to cover with your back end of the uh, bullpen relievers. And then the same thing again for Dakota Hudson, who's very likely on an innings limit this year, given the Tommy John surgery that he had and the very few innings that he was able to pitch in 2020 and 21 combined. Now you've got Jordan Hicks going out there for two to three innings and you're in the same spot. And now you flipped this thing over and starting the next day, 
you now have your guys back eligible to throw whenever they need to. And you keep going through with that kind of a cycle throughout the season. I don't know if they'll actually do this or not. I don't even know if it would work if they tried to do this because maybe Reyes or Hicks or Woodford would break down coming out of the bullpen as opposed to starting on their normal rest. I don't know. I'm really interested to find out though, man, because I think something like this might be the next wave that we see with some sort of innovation with the way that pitchers are used. We've seen all of these teams go away from having the third time through the order. That's where these teams, you see it. The numbers start spiking in terms of the results for the opposing offense. Well, if you could prevent that, by having these mid-tier relievers who could be starters, but maybe are best serve out of the bullpen, but you can get a little bit of length out of them. Man, this could be really interesting to see if Ollie Marmol is actually able to utilize these guys this way. Yeah, I'm intrigued by it. I mean, I, for one, am a little concerned by it because I, I just I feel like that's going to deteriorate your bullpen arms. And I just and maybe this is just the old school mentality. And if it is, and that's on me for not being able to transition with the game. But I just remember about five years ago, Adam Wainwright talking about it and the idea of a six man rotation. And I know this is different than a six man rotation, but Wainwright just talked about how, you know, I've been groomed, groomed into a routine my entire career and the transition that I think is just going to affect me mentally. And that mindset, now I know you have younger guys in your bullpen. Like, you know, I think a Jack Flaherty can adapt to that. I think a Dakota the, Hudson. What I'm saying is this wouldn't even affect those two guys. This affects two or three this guys This would exclusively affect Michaelis and Hudson, those two who I don't think are going to be able to throw you 200 innings this year because of the way that they've been used the last couple of years and the injuries that they've had. I do think the Cardinals are going to be looking for ways, whether it be skipping starts or taking them out after the second time through the order, they're going to artificially lower their innings because they don't want them to get to 200 innings this year out of fear of injury, re-injury. What happens with this mentality, though, if those guys get injured? I mean, you don't. I don't know if you have the. Well, then you would put Jake Woodford into the rotation, and maybe Matthew Liberatore or Johan Oviedo takes that spot. Yeah, and it, it might not work. That's the other thing. Like this may end up failing. It might work though. And if you end up finding something, and by the way, there are very few teams that could do this because most teams don't have this many starters that are at least possibilities for them in the rotation. Most teams are hoping to get four good ones. The Cardinals might have 10 that are ready by midseason, maybe 11. So if you do have this, by the way, Zach Thompson, another guy that could potentially fill a role like this eventually, I find it to be really intriguing because it's almost like, it's the reverse opener in some ways. Like instead of opening with the reliever, you keep your starters on their normal rest. So that way guys like Michaelis or Mats or Hudson who have done this their entire career, they've exclusively been starters. You're not throwing them off of their routine, but Reyes has come out of the bullpen. Jordan Hicks has come out of the bullpen. Woodford's maybe the one guy that I would have questions about because when he was coming out of the bullpen last year, there were some struggles there, but we've seen him do it before. So he should at least have an idea of what that the work looks like on, on a game day to be ready by the time you come into the game. But that, that that's why I find it to be intriguing is because of almost in some ways, those old school starters that, that hate this kind of stuff. It really doesn't affect them all that much other than the fact that they're going shorter into games. But I think that might already be the case. Yeah, and I just don't know about the innings cap. Like, I, I know you guys are pretty adamant on, on them not willing to use. And, and I think Derek Gould talked about that as well, where you're not going to be overusing a Dakota Hudson or a Miles Michaelis because of everything that's taken place. But I think prefer or personally, if this team is going to have success, they need those guys and they need those guys to not be on limits. And I know Dakota Hudson's a different case, but 
I think they're viewing him as somebody who they're hoping can take a step forward and to, to limit him with innings. I just don't know if that's going to benefit I, the team. I think their hope is the limited innings keeps him healthy yeah. so where he can be a factor in the postseason and then be a guy that could go like six innings. Granted, no starter goes six innings in the postseason, but I think that's kind of their hope for Dakota Hudson. And then he can take, because I agree, I think they're going to hope he takes the next step this year. But I think ultimately the next, next year, 2020, what year are we in? 2023? that would be the ultimate year in which you see Dakota Hudson take that step forward and become what we've talked about, where we view him as a guy that could be a solid number two for a rotation. I do find the shadow the shadow thing to be interesting. My my concern does align with, and I, I've seen this on the text line here from the 314, I like the idea, but what's the solution when you get a handful of bad starts from your one or two starters? Then your bullpen starts to head into that kind of hemorrhaging zone. And granted, you could just use that kind of, not the taxi squad, but the Memphis, the, what is it called? The I-44 I quarter. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> where you just call up another reliever from Memphis, send someone down just to get a fresh arm in your bullpen. You could do that, but the way this bullpen's shaping out, there's not a lot of guys that you can really do that with. So I find it interesting. The other the other concern I have with it is, I mean, Woodford was good at the end of the year, but let's not forget he struggled coming out of the bullpen. Maybe mm-hmm. that's the thing we've heard BT talk about when last year when everybody was getting healthy. We talked about, okay, which one of these guys that they acquired is going to go to the bullpen? It's not John Lester because he doesn't have much experience coming out of the bullpen. You don't want him to go and do, try and learn that routine. Alex Reyes, a guy that really struggled in the second half. Jordan Hicks, I just have no expectations for him. So I like the idea of a shadow rotation, but these are – two guys with some serious questions and then Jake Woodford who struggled coming out of the pen so it's tough for me to jump all the way on board with those guys having this role yeah Woodford last year he had his struggles as a starter as well though that that's the thing for me is like as a starter last year he had a 4.2 ERA as a reliever he was at a 3.8 and it was 37 innings as a starter 30 as a reliever for the Cardinals so the numbers were at least somewhat similar I think what we saw is he just became a more confident pitcher down the stretch I don't think it mattered if he was coming out of the bullpen or as a starter and maybe I'm just flat out wrong on that and that's totally possible but I think we saw a guy that just changed his mentality completely. He went down to AAA, something worked, something clicked for him, and he became a guy that stops nibbling. It's it, it reminded me a lot of Luke Weaver, where Weaver, when he first came up, it was like, oh, I, I don't know that this guy's a major league pitcher. And eventually he figured it out, and he became a more confident pitcher, and he, he ended up having a lot of success for the Diamondbacks eventually. Um, that's kind of how I view Jake Woodford. He just had to figure it out at, at the big league level. I also just I think they've got a lot of relievers that are available to them. So if Flaherty has a really bad start, he gives you a four innings in a bad start. We've got Gallegos Cabrera, somebody that they sign. Let's use Tapera. Oh, okay. I'll say I have Joe Ka- on my board. Whoever, whoever you end up going with there, that the third option for you out of the pen, I think they're going to sign Helsley, McFarland, Whitley. That's six of your guys coming out of the bullpen that you're pretty confident in. And then if you add in those other three, and the reason why I'm doing that is because I think they're going to have a 28-man roster to start the season. That's at least what's been uh, reported that it looks like Major League Baseball is going to do. I I think it could work, guys. I think at a minimum, you can start out this way. And Alex, to your point on Hudson and Michaelis in particular with the innings limits, Hudson has thrown 60 innings combined over the last two seasons. Miles Michaelis threw 70 innings combined over the last two seasons. I just don't know how much you can realistically expect those guys to jump this year. I think I would expect less than 150 innings for each of them. I think Michaelis, you'll probably be hoping for close to 150. 
I think Hudson, you might be looking at closer to 120 to 140. Yeah, see, I think they're going to get 150 for Dakota Hudson and hope that you get a little bit more, and I feel like you would get a little bit more. My only concern, well, one of the concerns with this too is, we said this last year, where they have all of this depth with pitching, and I just, I, I don't know if I'm there yet in terms of trusting that all of these guys are ready to be starters, or ready to be long-term options for you to but where I'm, you can use them for multiple innings. I, see, I like, I think that's the only way you can utilize Alex Reyes to extract the full value. out. Alex of Reyes. Yes. Not Jordan Hicks. And I'm a little concerned still with Johan Oviedo. What about Woodford? Jake Woodford looked great as a starter, but Jake Woodford out of the bullpen, I just don't know about. Maybe. And, and again, he, he might fail. I just feel like we've said this before where we're like, oh, these guys, they have so many arms that they can use in these roles. And we said that last year. And then when all of these arms started to pleat, you didn't have yeah. any. Well, here's what I would say to that. If those guys end up getting hurt, like if Matt's gets hurt or Michaelis or whomever, well, yeah, you got to change your, your, your plan, right? You, you go into battle and you end up losing half of your soldiers. Like, yeah, you're going to have to change the game plan a little bit eventually. And for the Cardinals this year, if you go into the season and you're doing the shadow rotation and Mats and Michaelis both get hurt, well, then Woodford and Oviedo or Reyes or whoever is going to have to fill those roles. And this is shot there. They're, you can't do this any longer. I think this is a start of the year kind of thing. You get into the season. You're probably delayed in spring training. The guys aren't worked up the way that you would hope that they would. You do have questions about the innings. And what are you going to do to be able to keep all these guys fresh? This. This is the plan. Because they're probably going to want to keep those guys as fresh as they possibly can. And they're going to have to get super creative in order in, able to, in order to do so. I think this is probably the best plan. It's kind of like the conversation we had about the NFL's overtime, right? Is there a perfect a plan? No. I do think there are better ways. And we came up with the one where you know at the beginning of the game who's going to get the ball first in overtime. I think that's a better plan. I think this is a better plan for the Cardinals rotation and bullpen going into next year than simply saying, ah, eh, starters are going to go a little bit shorter. We'll figure it out from there. I, I think that having this, he called it a shadow rotation. I like that terminology for it. I think this is probably the best plan that I've seen that could be utilized for the Cardinals. I will say this. If this is the plan, I, I know we've talked about it a lot because we've seen uh, Jim Bowden and a bunch of national people writing, hey, they need another starter. I think another starter might be someone that they should actually consider. Now, I'm not saying Zach Green because Zach Green is not going to go to the bullpen, but one of those guys that's on the scrap heap, a uh, Jay Happ again or a Wade LeBlanc, someone that could go be in this bullpen because I think Colin I, McHugh makes perfect sense for the Jordan Hicks spot in this role. Exactly, because that's the name I, I have circle. Because Jake Woodford Reyes, I can see having this multi inning role. This is going to be the first time we're seeing Jordan Hicks actually have this quote unquote starters workload. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. And that's my concern. I'm not trusting Hicks Jordan Hicks as a weapon in this now situation. Probably, so eliminate Ryan Tapera in this one. Eliminate that. Put instead of having Hicks in this role, maybe he is a guy that is going one inning and he's filling the Ryan Tapera role. And now you've got um, McHugh as your third guy that's in the shadow rotation. So you have Reyes backing up Mats, for example. Woodford backing up Michaelist, and you've got McHugh backing up Hudson at the back end of your rotation. I think that might be the better plan forward. If you're going to go this route, that's probably the kind of signing that you would have to make. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, 680 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play a game of Bet It or Forget It here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. 
Too much Alex sounds like somebody yeah. that's having a snow day tomorrow. 65780 no, is the air comfort service days. text line for bet it or forget it. Guys, I'm I'm pretty sick of people who are making fun of Tanner. Can we say the names? I mean, it's it's I hate to be the bear of bad news, Tanner. Multiple there, there are multiple. Um, for <laughs> You're suggesting lucky you don't text in your name. <laughs> that Paul Goldschmidt will be the Cardinals leadoff hitter next year. We have now heard this from Derek Gould. T-bone first. We have heard this from Danny Mack, who said it earlier today. There are Cardinals insiders who have written about the idea. There are national analysts who have stated this. Being the Cardinals leadoff hitter next year. They don't have an obvious candidate for that spot. They don't. Dylan Carlson might become that, but he also might be the perfect switch hitter to be in the the two spot in your order. So start out better or forget it with this. Better to forget it, Paul Goldschmidt finishes the year with the most at-bats in the Cardinals' leadoff spot. I think I might bet that, actually, because I, I think they will have Tommy Edmond have a right at it, a Bader against lefties. Uh, Carlson might get a shot at it, too. I I think, though, Goldschmidt, who has good splits against both right-handed and left-handed pitching, has had the highest on-base percentage among any Cardinal last year. And also, it's not the fact of I'm taking away from RBI spots. I just want him getting more plate appearances. And that's why you hit guys like Kyle Schwarber, like Anthony Rizzo at leadoff. I'll bet this. I think he'll end up with the most plate appearances or, yeah, plate appearances as the leadoff hitter. I think ideally the Cardinals want Dylan Carlson to be the number two. And Derek Gould kind of mentioned that in his chat yesterday. He said, what's the next step for Carlson? Well, so get the higher on base, have a little bit more oomph with some power. And he said he thinks the Cardinals really hope he's the number two. So I could see them going Goldie, Carlson, O'Neal, Arnado, and then whoever you want to be your fifth guy. Probably Paul Dion. I, I would forget it. But I think he's going to be close because I, I personally believe Tommy Edmonds going to have the most at bats at the leadoff position. But I think Paul Goldschmidt would be a close number two with that. And I, I think we need to get past the idea of, oh, well, Paul Goldschmidt needs to hit in the three hole because he's an RBI machine. Can I give you a list of a few guys that had at least 100 plate appearances last year batting leadoff? Yeah. Kyle Schwarber. We wanted him. Fernando Tessis Jr. him had 115 plate appearances as a leadoff hitter last the year. I led the National League in home runs, by the way. Jesse Winker for the Cincinnati Reds. Ronald Acuna Jr. Brandon Lau. Randy Arozarena. George Springer. Mookie Betts. And, and see, this like, is just a dumb... Not dumb. That's too aggressive. Trey this, Turner had 330 plate appearances as a leadoff hitter last year. Marcus Simeon, who led the American League in home runs this, last year, if I'm not mistaken, had 400 as a leadoff hitter. Wilson Contreras. This text doesn't apply. Can you imagine Pujols at the leadoff? No, because Pujols was one of the best hitters of our generation, and Paul Goldschmidt is not that. And also, they had obvious candidates to bat leadoff. Yes. David Eckstein. Paul, like Paul Goldschmidt's numbers in on-base percentage are outstanding. And that's why he's hitting leadoff. And guess what? The game has changed from what it was in 2005, 2006. People don't do the best hitter in your lineup at the three hole anymore. They do the best hitter in your lineup at the leadoff so he gets on base. Get your best hitters towards the top of the order. Yes. Period. That, that That's the name of the game now. Get them the most at-bats. If I've, if I've got them bunched up together, if I've got an inning in which my top four is some combination, and you can honestly put them in just about any order, of Paul Goldschmidt, Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill, and Nolan Arenado, I'm good. Those are the guys that should be batting at the top of your order. The one guy that 
I wouldn't want at the top of the order, honestly, is Nolan Arenado because his on-base percentage isn't as high as those other guys. I want to get as many runners on in front of the guy that's going to drive them in, which is Nolan Arenado. Tyler O'Neill's probably your best three-hole hitter candidate out of that group. So then you're really talking about, do we lead off Dylan Carlson or Paul Goldschmidt? You could go either way and I would understand it. But I like the idea of Dylan Carlson batting second because he's a switch hitter. That's really what the decision would come down to for me. And, and you mentioned so to, to answer my own question, I'm betting this. I do think Paul Goldschmidt will finish the year, not necessarily with more than 50% of their at-bats as a leadoff hitter, but the most out of all of the guys that are going to get those options because you listed all of them, Tanner. I think he will have the most opportunities in that leadoff. Spot. And a lot of people look at that leadoff spot and you got to have like a speedy guy up there. Look, Paul Goldschmidt's no, not in his prime where he could steal 30 bases, 20 to 25 bases anymore. He's still got speed and not, and that's not the most important part to me. He's a good base runner, so he can get from first to third if he needs to on a ball in the gap. So that that's another thing for me. A lot of people view it as that speed position. It doesn't necessarily have to be that. 65780 is the air comfort Hell, service text line. For for well, I, yeah, or I just said it. False. Better or forget it. Run. Guys, what? bet it or forget it. The Bengals or the Bills will get back to another Super Bowl before the Chiefs get to their next Super Bowl. I'd bet this. I think I think the I think the Bills might be the team next year. I, I it's think, reasonable. I, think I mean, you they have, were very close to being the team this year. The only thing I'm concerned about is I don't know what they look like without Brian Dable, and I mean that's such a huge piece to lose and a huge weapon to lose. But I'm just thinking about a team that's been there twice and has lost it in a what like last second situation. Buffalo seems like that team that's about to do the Rams of we're going all in like blank this. We need everything. So I would bet this one because I think one of those two uh, will be back there before the Chiefs. I'm going to bet this too, because I, I think Bu- Buffalo is that team next year. And you just brought up the concerns with Dable. They just promoted from within to the offensive coordinator position because they promoted their uh, Ken, Ken Dorsey, Dorsey. their that's quarterbacks huge. coach. Tanner doesn't know who Ken Dorsey is. No, no idea. But God. anyways. They promote it from within, so also I expect to see a little bit. I haven't seen that either. I expect them to have a little bit of the same offense next year. There'll be tweaks because it's a different OC, but because they promoted from within, I don't have as big a concerns. I, I think they're the team to beat. They're going to learn from somehow allowing Mahomes to get down the field in 13 seconds. I'll bet this. I think Buffalo's in the Super Bowl next year. I'm going to forget it. Surprise, surprise. Who could have seen that one coming? This was like I, a Blues question to Ferrari. <laughs> exactly. Or, or Cardinals question in the affirmative to me. I think that the Chiefs will get back to the Super Bowl. I don't know if it'll be next year or not, but I I would bet on them getting back before the Bengals or the Bills do. I totally understand, though, the Bills side of things. That team's awesome. I mentioned this coming off of the game where the Chiefs, I mean, easily could have lost. They had 13 seconds to go, and I thought the Bills were going to the AFC Championship game, and they were going to host it. But Patrick Mahomes pulled one out of his rear end, and they figured out a way to win. I do think that the Bills are going to be right there with them, but I'm, I'll am i take Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs, even though this year Man. he ended up coming up short. Could you imagine the Bills getting Leonard Fournette? It'd be fun. Oh, oh. Be fun. that's dangerous. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Guys, bet it or forget it. Tyler O'Neill leads the National League in home runs next year. Um, I'm going to forget this one. Just because it's just going to be so much competition, bar, man. And, and especially in the NL, when you look at Acuna Jr. is going to be back, Juan Soto, Bryce Harper. I mean, Tatis Jr., who barely was healthy this season and still led the league. So I'm going to forget this one. I think he'll be top five, maybe top three, but I don't know if he's going to win it. It's got to a stay healthy and be hit 
like 45 home runs and to stay do this. consistent. I'm, I'm forgetting this one as well. Yeah, I'm going to forget it too. I know Mike Schultz tells me to be optimistic, to live longer, but well, you really I, just like, I just like my odds with the field because, I mean, you mentioned it, Harper, Tatis, like you said, Tatis somehow led the league in home runs and he missed like, I want to say like 40 games. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it from the 573. Guys, wasn't Ken Dorsey on the same Miami Hurricanes team as t- uh, Frank Gore? Yes. No idea. That, Frank that, Gore Friday. Hashtag that, that is correct. Hall of Fame Fridays. They were indeed on the same team together. So all Dorsey's right. a Hall of Famer then? No. Because, no, God, no. well, we all know Frank Gore is. Right? He's going to be. Should not be. Oh my God. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for Bet It or Forget It. Guys, Bet It or Forget It. Josh McDaniels will become the second former Patriots assistant to win a playoff game at some point with the Raiders. Can you guys believe this? Romeo Cronell, Eric Mangini, Jim Schwartz, Bill O'Brien, Matt Patricia, Brian Flores, Joe Judge, Brian Dable, and Josh McDaniels have all combined to win two playoff games, and both of them were by Bill Bill O'Brien. With the Texans. Yeah, I'm going to forget this one because I think the only reason Bill O'Brien was able to get there was because of having an elite quarterback. And um, I don't think Josh McDaniels has an elite quarterback. Uh, I don't think that they have a team that can get there. Although I do think Derek Carr is better than what most believe. I don't think Josh McDaniels is the right recipe for success in Vegas. So I'm going to forget this one. I'm going to forget this too. And it's not only the quarterback, but also just the conference they're in. I mean, they're not going to win the AFC West. It's either going to be the, probably going to be the Chiefs or it could be the Chargers if they take the next step forward. So that means they're a wild card. And who could they match up in a wild card game against? Josh Allen and the Bills. They could match up against Justin Herbert and the Chargers. They could match up against Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Or if Kansas City somehow becomes a wild card, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. So I'm going to forget this mostly because that conference is so loaded. They could get to the playoffs, but they're not winning any playoff games. If I were to tell you that Brian Flores goes to the Texans as the head coach and Deshaun Watson stays in Houston, who do you think gets there first? Flores with the Texans or McDaniels with the Raiders? Because I would actually put money on Flores getting there. See, you're saying Deshaun stays? Yeah, that's the stipulation here. Yeah, I I would go with the Texans. A, they're in a much easier division to be able to win, and I think Deshaun becomes immediately the clear-cut best favorite. But I think you bring Flores to fix that defense, and the the offense wasn't the problem with the Raiders. It was their defense. Even if it was was another coach that ended up becoming the the coach for the Texans, if Deshaun stays, I I think the Texans probably make the playoffs next year. Yeah. The quarterback just has that much of a is that much of a difference maker. We just saw that with Joe Burrow two years ago. They were the worst team in the league at the number one overall pick. And like that, Joe Burrow is able to completely change the culture and he's in the Super Bowl now yep. for Alex Ferrari and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie guys, a quick better to forget it uh, better to forget it. My flight's actually going to take off on Thursday. Southwest just tweeted due to forecasted winter weather across the country. Oh. Services for some cities may be disrupted from now through Friday. Check your flight status and explore rebooking options by using the links below. See you on Friday, BK. Yeah, I'm betting this forgetting this. I'm not going to be flying. Am I? Nope. We'll see you Friday, uh, buddy. No. 11 to 2. We're, we're live at Centene Community Eye Center. Yeah. Come on out and join us. Come on out. I think come Grant's on out and say hey. With us, so I'll, I'll be out there yeah, with you. Yeah, so Grant's going to still work. I have T Bone there. So come on out, man. Coming we'll see up you there. next. Do you still hate watch the Rams or are you just done with them? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Vince Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101 ESPN. Dot com and the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And Alex, is there, there's something you got to tell the good folks in the 101 ESPN listening audience as well. I got to tell you, make sure you don't have any plans on Saturday. And if you do, cancel them because you can head over to the grand opening of the new first community in Kirkwood and see Chris Kerber. You can celebrate the newest branch with Chris Kerber, Blues mascot Louie, balloons for the kids. That includes you, T-Bone. You can get one and more. So make sure you're there. First Community Credit Union located at 10357 Manchester Road in Kirkwood this Saturday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. Get more information at 101ESPN.com. So a little bit of news to pass along. According to Evan Drellich of The Athletic, the MLB right, and MLBPA, quote, had a heated meeting. Nope. End quote. It lasted 90 minutes. MLBPA made a couple of changes to their previous um, proposal. Nothing of significance. This is basically the equivalent of what the owners gave in their last proposal, where they kind of moved a little bit on a couple of different things. But overall, it was basically like, hey, we liked our last proposal. Are you guys going to accept that yet? The answer, of course, was no from the players. And I'm sure the answer is going to be no from the owners on this one. Evan says in in summation of today's 90-minute meeting, the sides still remain very far apart, end quote. So, Uh, Really no movement on that. We can go ahead and move on from that storyline. I did want to ask quickly, Alex, before we finish the show today. This came from Michael Mulville. Mulville? M-U-L-V-H-I-L-L. I apologize. He works for Fox Sports in their communications department. Said St. Louis rated better on Sunday for the Chiefs game, the AFC Championship, than they did for the Rams game in the NFC Championship game. The Chiefs rating was around 10% better uh, than the major market average. The Rams game was about 10% worse than the other markets. So in other words, St. Louis overperformed relative to what you would expect for the rating for the Chiefs game and underperformed for the Rams game. Guys, this was not the case when the Rams first left St. Louis. There were a lot of people that flat out still enjoyed watching the Rams whenever they first left. There were many others, probably the majority, who hate-watched him. I remember when it was, I think it was the home opener when they played against the 49ers, and it was like a celebration the next day here in St. Louis when they lost that game in L.A. Everybody love everybody. Are we are we done with that now? I, I'm asking this in all sincerity. Are, are, are most people here in St. Louis just kind of over, especially now that the lawsuit it has come to a conclusion? Are, have we all kind of just moved on and decided, you know what, some people are no longer watching the NFL. Many others are, and they may have a new team. They may just gamble on the sport. They may just enjoy watching the games. Have we basically moved on from the fact that we're done with the Rams and we're not hate watching them anymore the I, way that we once did? I mean, it seems like it. I mean, I, I for one, like, I never hate watched the Rams. Like, I'm still very not pleased with what took place, and I sure. hate the fact what that what what did. But, I mean, I'm a fan of the game, and so if, if it's a meaningful game, I'm going to watch. But, I, I mean... I just I think people are past the moment now where you're gonna you're going to dedicate 16 weeks out of your summer, fall, winter season to watch the Rams so you can celebrate them losing. This felt different though because it's the NFC Championship game. Like I understand completely if you're not watching in the regular season in a random just, Week 12 matchup against the Seahawks yeah, or something. I just don't like, buy people fine. aren't watching an NFC Championship game regardless if the Rams are in it or not. Well, I, I think what what I'm saying is I think previously like if this. If that game happened the year that the Rams left and it happened in L.A., 
I think the number would have been huge here in St. Louis because people would have been watching to hope that they lost. Because that's what happened when we saw the home opener out there in, in L.A. I think it was on Monday Night Football, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. But it was it like sure part of the seemed like people were, I mean, at least on social media, people were talking an awful lot about wanting to see the Rams lose. I, I know, but social media is not a yeah. representation of real life. Like, we know that. What? And, and as, like, those numbers show you, that reflects how St. Louis actually views the Rams. Now, at least I would think. And the numbers weren't good. St. Louis did not show out to watch the Rams. And that's... Honestly, in some ways, I'm happy about that. Like, I think it's a good thing. It's healthy that we can kind of move on from that. And that doesn't mean that you're not unhappy. I'm with you, Alex. Like, what what Stan Kroenke did was awful, of course. I do think it's kind of healthy, though, that we've all... It's been, what, five years now? Six years? I do think it's kind of healthy that we we move forward here with this storyline. I think there might be three three reasons. I could be wrong on this, so maybe why people aren't hate-watching the Rams anymore. One, as you mentioned, the lawsuit. Two, I think people got another taste of football and in the XFL, and, that, and they kind of had a renewed love for football. But for the Battle Hawks, and there's, it seems like the Battle Hawks will be back when the XFL comes back. And the third one for me, too, is it could just be, you know, hey, the Rams were the favorites in that game. Do I want to watch them win? No, I'd rather watch them lose. So maybe I'll watch a game when they have a chance to lose. Maybe that's part of it, too. I could be wrong on that third And I think one. you also have an exciting hockey team right now that's playing at the same time. But they that, weren't playing yesterday, on Sunday. No, but... I think there's more dedication to something like that. Maybe. I, I think that some plays into it a little bit. I also think this from the 314. We just don't care about them anymore. I think there's some truth to that. I, I do. And, and I think that's, in a lot of ways, a good thing. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane coming up next from 2 to 6 right here on 101 ESPN. Everybody love everybody! You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.